And now for the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. The Blues are going to ride a five-game losing streak into the All-Star break. As this one comes to a close in Winnipeg, Jordan Bennington deserved a better fate tonight. He won't say it. He's a team guy, but he deserved a better fate tonight. 38 shots on net faced by the Blues goaltender, and the Yips bit the Blues again in the third period. I'm sick of them. Well, let's get nasty on a Tuesday afternoon. Jamie Rivers here in the fast lane, joined by my good friend, Michelle Smallman, who's in for the ride here four hours today. Michelle, I know, I want to have energy. I want to be happy. I just, no, I just don't know if I can today after watching that last night. I understand, Jamie. Sometimes we reflect the energy back that we're given. And after last night, after yet another game squandered by the Blues and another poor effort, especially in the third period, I can understand why your energy levels would be low. It's it's like your parents, right? We're at the point where it's like, I'm not even mad. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was disappointing uh, if you're just tuning in and, and you don't know for whatever reason. The Blues squandered a two-goal lead in the third period last night against the Winnipeg Jets on the shoulders of Jordan Bennington, who was spectacular. I believe there was 12 or 13 grade A scoring chances against and he had your team right in a spot to win a hockey game and unfortunately the Blues handed that back to the Winnipeg Jets and I, I guess I want to start with Jordan Bennington because he's been the hot topic on a lot of different media platforms because his numbers aren't great when you look at his wins and losses when you look at his save percentage his goals against average and you know Michelle we talked about it yesterday where I was like sometimes you have to actually watch the games to understand how good a player is or an athlete is for their team. Last night was a prime example. Like, as you're watching the game, in the first period specifically, what what are you noticing about Jordan Bennington that you're looking at and go, okay, thank God for this guy tonight? As I'm making my notes, Jamie, watching the game, I'm like, season MVP. Where would the Blues be without Jordan Bennington this season? I do not think that he is contributing to the malaise that we're seeing from the St. Louis Blues team. If anything, he has kept them in games and has gotten them out of some really tough spots. And I understand why he's so frustrated. Yeah, and whether you're in the camp of Jordan Bennington or not, or if you look at Jordan Bennington, you're one of those people that, like, I don't like his antics and I don't like when he gets all involved with the players. Jordan Bennington always follows up those games with a solid performance. So if you were mad at him against Colorado or you didn't like the fact that he jumped in and got involved with the players physically, I can guarantee you when you watched last night, you're like, okay, wow, this is a guy that wore his emotions on his sleeve on Saturday afternoon, but now is responding with an effort like that. I couldn't believe some of the saves he was making. And then to be up 2 nothing going into the third, and let's not talk about the second period where they killed off four different power plays for the Winnipeg Jets. So the, the Winnipeg Jets go, what, 0 for 6 on the night on power plays. That right there was incredible. You're taking two penalties at that point. But you know what, Michelle? As it was happening, I was sitting down at the Bally studio with Alexa Dat, and I said, Alexa, remember this second period? And she kind of looked at me puzzled. I said, because here's the thing. You've just had to absolutely empty the tank 
with most of your all-around players because you've had to kill off six penalties already in this game, four in the second period. Mm. What will you have left in the third period? What will be left in the tank for guys like uh, Nick Letty, Colton Pareko, Justin Falk, all these guys that are out there in all those situations said, I'm worried that they'll run out of gas. Well, they did. <laughs> they did. And, you know, whether it's physically running out of gas or you're so tapped physically that mentally you start to make mistakes, it happened. And this is why you can't take so many penalties. Even though your penalty kill was fantastic and you, you, you shut them out, it doesn't matter. It takes a toll on you. And I felt like that showed up in the third period. Yeah, there was definitely fatigue there. That's a great observation, Jamie. Um, you know, I'm at the stage with this Blues team where I'm watching, and they, they take the lead, which is great. That hasn't happened since January 19th. You're starting to feel good. You mentioned that strong second period, the penalty kill, and I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. You, you notice the fatigue, but this team has just been so inconsistent and hasn't been able to sustain three periods lately of, of hockey like we saw. So after two strong periods, I'm waiting for the shoe to drop in the third period. And boy, did it drop. Yeah, it did. And so here's what's disappointing for me. If I'm Craig Berube and I'm looking at this, and I know that there's a lot of finger pointing that's going on right now from the fan base, you know, whether it's Tarasenko, O'Reilly, whether it's Colton Pareko, uh, Justin Falk, whoever it is that you want to point the finger at, I know that some people are pointing the finger at Craig Berube. And, and here's the frustration a coach has in these situations is you're up 2 nothing, Then you have a veteran player, and we'll just name him, Tory Krug decides to try some sort of a set face-off play in the offensive zone, and he ends up down near the goal line, and then there's a turnover, and then it's an outnumbered situation going back towards the Blues net, ultimately ends up in the back of the net. As I'm watching that, I said, why? Why are we doing that? You didn't need another goal, and I understand there's a, that mentality of, well, we don't sit back, because when you sit back, you know, you just let the other team get going. That's not what I'm talking about. Smart hockey. You have three guys above the puck at all times. And all that means is that you have three guys in a defensive structure to where the other team can't just get a free shot at your net or an outnumbered situation. And you certainly don't have defensemen going down low in the offensive zone. Mm -hmm. Just put the pucks down low. And what you do is you the, the clock becomes the enemy of the opponent at this point because they can't get out of their own end. They're getting frustrated. They can't really generate anything offensively because they don't have an outnumbered situation. So that's what you do. Then the frustration sets in, and then that team, the team that's down to nothing, is supposed to be the one that starts to make the bad decisions, the bad choices, pressing the issue, trying to create offensively. And that's usually when you can get your insurance goal. Mm -hmm. And that, but it was in reverse. It was bizarro world watching that last night because the Blues start pressing and they get guys caught up the ice. And that was Tori Krug on that one. Then Justin Falk, this is where I think the tired mistake comes in. He's got Ivan Barbashev for a six foot pass to break it out of the zone and all is well. He goes for the high flipper into the neutral zone, which nine times out of 10, Justin Falk executes that no problem. Well, this was the one time, and it didn't work, and it ended up in the back of your net. So we're talking about Tori Krug and Justin Falk, two of your most veteran guys on the blue line now have made some mistakes. Mm -hmm. Moving forward again, Nick Letty is up at the blue line. He can't keep the puck in the zone, and then he turns the wrong way. So rather than turning into the player to eliminate him from being able to continue and progress up the ice, he turns into the middle of the ice and allows the Winnipeg player to get going. He moves the puck up, and we know the rest of it. It ends up in the back of the net.
So those are your three veteran guys on the blue line making mistakes when you didn't need to. Just play safe. Nick Letty back out of the zone. Justin Falk, if, if worst case scenario, throw it off the glass and get it out. Take an icing call. Just bad decisions at the wrong time. Yeah, and you do play to win the game, but when you're riding a losing streak and your team is on the precipice of potentially getting blown up, that's when you do play safe. That's when you do try to minimize any potential mistakes that you could that you could make. And and Jimmy, I'm wondering what the message is that the coaching staff has for these guys at this point because you know that they don't feel great about what's happening. When they return back, there there could be a completely different team in, in the dressing room. You don't even know what the situation is, but what do you say if you're the coach after a game like that? Well, it's tough, right? Because you're hoping that there's nothing new to be said. And what I mean by that is the coaching staff has probably been pounding home all of the information that they want the players to receive, probably pounding home this strategy, the structure, the defense first, the you know full 60 minutes of hockey, 200-foot game, all the cliches that we hear about. This coaching staff is trying to have that ingrained into these players. So what do you say after a game like that? I don't know if I say anything to the players mm-hmm. at that point. I almost feel like if I'm the head coach, Hey, you know what, guys? Go do your thing. Get it out of your system. Go to your vacation. Go to your reset, whatever. And when we come back here, there might be some different bodies here. Heck, as the coaching staff, there might be different coaches in place. I don't want that. I don't think Craig Berube is is at fault here. But there has to be some kind of a change. When things are so stale, the players, the coach, the management, everybody has to be held accountable when a team is underperforming like this. There is no doubt about that. And there's a lot of blame that can be uh, pointed at and a lot of people that you could assign some blame to. But I do not think that Craig Berube is the majority of the problem here. I think he is trying to do the best he can with the pieces that he's been given. And I know that a coach's message is important, Jamie. But at some point, you're a professional athlete and you shouldn't need a coach's message to get you motivated to do your job. And you shouldn't need a coach's message to get you to be frustrated about the the state of your team right now. And I would be really upset if Craig Ruby is the one that ends up taking the fall for this team. That's Michelle Smallman. She's absolutely correct in what she just said. I'm Jamie Rivers. This is the fast lane. Anthony Stalter is down in Wally World right now. <laughs> Disney World with the family, enjoying a little vacation time. BT will be in the house tomorrow. It is 2.12 right now. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers. Mic drop for today. All right, listen up. Mic drop for today. The theme is, who is to blame right now for the Blues' struggles? So get on the 101 ESPN mobile app. Click on that little microphone there. Leave a mic drop for us. We're going to revisit those throughout the entire two hours here from 2 to 4. And we're going to change the mic drop theme at 4 o'clock. But right now, who's to blame? Leave us a mic drop on that. Coming up next, we're going to talk some birds. That's right. Two birds on a bat. Maybe a guy named Jordan Walker. Right here in the Fast Lane on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. He's a monster. He hits the ball as hard as any young man I've ever seen in my entire life. And hopefully things keep trending in a positive direction because if they do, I truly believe he could be 
yeah. one of the next St. Louis Cardinal Hall of Famers. I, I, I see that in his career, but, you know, obviously there's time in front of him. He still has to get there, and we got to see what we got. But Jordan Walker is one of the most exciting prospects I've ever seen play the game in my entire life. That was Ryan Ludwick this week on BK and Ferrario, or last week, rather, talking about Jordan Walker. So let's dive into that a little bit. And uh, I guess the question is, could Jordan Walker change your mind on how the Cardinals are currently constructed? Now, the past few weeks, we discussed the model of the, the way the Cardinals uh, build their roster and how it, uh, the team is currently constructed. Does, does Jordan Walker change that for you, Michelle? Because I look at a team right now where you've got a couple of big boppers. You've got Goldie and Arenado. After that, your fingers crossed that Tyler O'Neill runs into a few from time to time. Fingers crossed he stays healthy. But the rest of the lineup, to me, is, is somewhat the same. I'm wondering if Jordan Walker changes that for you. Uh, he does not. I hope that Jordan Walker turns into the next Albert Pujols. I hope Jordan Walker eventually blossoms into the player that we're all projecting him to be. I don't know if that path is going to look like Albert Pujols' rise, or maybe it'll be more of a Dylan Carlson path where you'll see flashes and it's a steady climb. I don't know if after one year of Jordan Walker that it's going to change my mind about this this team, Jamie. And my view of the Cardinals has never been that they can't find players. They always have young prospects. That we're always talking about the next guy up with the St. Louis Cardinals. Now, are we talking about them in the manner in which we're talking about Jordan Walker? Absolutely not. We've only done that with Oscar Tavares since Albert Pujols. So it's, it's rare error that he's in. I understand that. And he could be a game changer, but I I really think that unless the Cardinals get to the NLCS or win the World Series, we're not really talking about this team in any other way than we are right now. So is that so? That's the 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 measuring stick for you, right? So if Jordan Walker is a part of this team next year and he's a contributor, he doesn't have to be an All Star or be the guy, but he's a contributor. Do the Cardinals have to win at least one playoff round for you to buy into what you're seeing? Yes, I think that's the bare minimum. I think winning one playoff round should be the expectation, not the hope. And we kind of have a lot of these conversations, Jamie, around certain players. I think it'll be a real shame if the Cardinals do not win a World Series in the Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado era. But what if they don't? Then are we going to transfer our hope then to Jordan Walker? Then it becomes, well, the window is open as long as the Cardinals have Jordan Walker. You know what I'm saying? I, I think that there are these big pieces that the Cardinals have that we tend to focus on, but it's the construction of, of the entirety of the team that's going to get the job done. So if we're if we're drawing back to Jordan Walker, Keith Law uh, wrote, he said, uh, he might be a 30-homer guy, although it's more likely that he's 20 to 25 home run type player who posts high averages and OBPs, maybe the sort of player who gets underrated because he's not exceptionally fast or toolsy, but offers consistently stellar production over a long period of time. Keith Law is a tool. Well, ordinarily, <laughs> that's the way I feel too, Janet. Um, you know, Keith Law is, uh, yep, wow. not, not a big friend of the show. But either way, uh, he is a guy that is heavily involved into the uh, the baseball scene. So, Michelle, if... If Jordan Walker is a 20 to 25 home run guy uh, and has got a high average and good OBP, like, is that enough for you? 
to, to for the player or like you said you used Albert Pujols as a, mm-hmm. as kind of like what you're expecting. I just don't know if that's the kind of player he is. Reading more and more about Jordan Walker, he's he's an exceptional young player and certainly an exceptional young man. I mean, anybody who's ever talked to him recognizes that right away. But is Albert Pujols, is that really, like, is that setting the bar way too high for him? If that's what the skill set looks like and and that's what evaluators are projecting him to be, I, I understand wanting to put him in that category. If you're that excited about a prospect, I mean, we just heard Ryan Ludwig's assessment of Jordan Walker and people that have watched this guy play are really hyped about his potential and his possibility. And I can understand why, but I also think to compare him to the greatest right-handed hitter we've ever seen in St. Louis is a, it's a little tough. It's it's a little tough for him to wear that pressure, especially at such a young age. But I, I have spoken to him. You mentioned anybody that's interviewed him, it walks away impressed. And he is a young man that has unbelievable confidence and composure. And he really seems like he's got the right head on his shoulders to block out all that noise and take all of that in stride. But do I expect him when he does finally get the call to immediately look like Albert Pujols? No, I don't. Yeah, and I'm just wondering if that's what we want, too. Like, obviously, that's what I'd like to have is Albert Pujols. But I'm, I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't know if that's what I want from the young man as far as, like, what his desire is. I don't I don't need a young guy coming up from AAA or AA or wherever he's, he's coming from and just having to be Albert Pujols. I want this young man to grow into whatever he's going to be for the Cardinals. I feel like sometimes we put a lot of pressure on these young guys and sometimes it influences their confidence when things don't go well right away. Of course. I can't imagine what that would feel like as a young player reading about all the hype that everyone has around me. And then I get called up to the majors and maybe there's a calibration period. Maybe the speed of the game is different. Maybe my routine is off. Maybe I I just am having a hard time adapting and you're not seeing it right away. There's social media. There's people like us that are going to come on the radio and talk about it every day. There's Mike Draw. I'm sure Janet's going to let Jordan Walker know if he comes up and he's not performing well. And and sometimes it doesn't click in that easily. But if if everything that we're seeing and hearing and reading about Jordan Walker is correct, I do think that he's going to uh, adapt well. Now, Michelle, when do, you, when do you think he makes his debut? Because I've had this discussion with a couple of people, and I think he's going to do enough in spring training based on the World Baseball Classic happening. I think he's going to do enough in spring training. He's going to get enough at-bats to show that he can break camp and come to St. Louis with the team. Now, some people think that I've been dipping into the bourbon a little too heavily with that opinion, <laughs> uh, which might be true. But either way, where do you see him making his debut? Do you think he breaks spring training with the team, or do you think he's like a month down the road kind of call-up player? Jamie, I couldn't agree with you more. If he is that much of a difference maker and he shows you what he needs to show you in spring training, give him the job. Bring him up. Let him to me, give him as much of a runway as possible. Tell him this is your job and and you're going to have it and it's not going anywhere. You've showed us what we, we need to see. And frankly, I want him in that clubhouse with guys like 
Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado. I want him learning from the National League MVP. I want him learning from a future Hall of Famer and Nolan Arenado because eventually that job is going to be his of being a leader of the team. And I just think the more he can get in this environment and get acclimated to it and the more that he can be around players like that and soak up everything he can from them, the better. Guys, we had a text from the 618, 20 to 25 home run power for Walker is a failure. Another lie that Mo sells us. Do you guys think 20 to 25 home runs is a failure? I think that's pretty good for a rookie. Well, I think it depends on what the OBP looks like and what the doubles look like. You know, if, if he's a strikeout guy and he gets 20 to 25, you've essentially got Nolan Gorman right now, if that's the case. So for me, 20 to 25 home runs is fine if... He's also getting doubles if he's getting on base, if he's you know doing well that mm-hmm. way, if his average is there as well, I'm okay with that. I mean, I don't know how you feel about that, Michelle. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I want to look at the, the complete game. I'm not going to just settle in on the home runs. I would be thrilled if he came up and he got 20 to 25 home runs because let's not forget, it's going to be his first season in the major leagues. I know that the expectations are high, but I'm trying to bring the bar down just a little bit. What did Brad say that his ceiling is Aaron Judge and his floor is Giancarlo Stanton? <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm trying to bring it down just a little bit yeah, for thanks the kid. A lot, BT. <laughs> you know, no pressure, Jordan Walker. But, but Jamie and, and Marsh, I I just think about this more holistically, and I think about Cardinals fans, and I know that they're so excited about Jordan Walker, but I just. Think about another year gone by where the Cardinals have not won the World Series and another year gone by with what a lot of people would think is a disappointing end to the season in the playoffs. And if the Cardinals have an early exit from the playoffs, but Jordan Walker comes up and is an absolute stud, is that going to be enough? Is that going to be enough for Cardinals fans? Are they going to look at this kid and say, well, the future is bright because now we have Goldie, Arnato, Contreras, Jordan Walker is that guy. Uh, who knows what happens with, with Tyler O'Neill or Dylan Carlson? Or are they going to continue to be uh, to have playoff fatigue? And I know that that sounds so spoiled, but that's kind of where we are as a fan base right now. It's playoff fatigue. They're sick of, we're almost there. Let's just punch our ticket and see what happens. They want to feel like this team is going to win a World Series. And I just... I don't know if him coming up and having a monster year or even, you know, what we would say is a a serviceable year is going to be enough to get Cardinals fans to be really excited. I hope it is, but I don't know if it will be. That's Michelle Smallman. I'm Jamie Rivers. We're here in the fast lane. Anthony Stalter out on vacation. We are going to get into what's trending next with our guy, Andrew Marsh. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time to find out what's going on in the sports world with What's Trending Now. Brought to you by Goodwill. Donate a car and get tickets to the St. Louis Cardinals. Welcome back to the Fast Lane here on 101 ESPN. Jamie Rivers, Michelle Smallman. I'm Andrew Marsh, and it's time for What's Trending. Guys, Anthony Stalter's favorite baseball player, Dexter Fowler, has called it a career. The former Cardinal is now done with the game of baseball. Our guy Anthony just hates that deal, doesn't he? I mean, every (laughs) time he brings up a bad trade, he talks about poor Dexter Fowler. All this guy wanted to do is play hard for the birds on the bat. I mean, it didn't go as well as, well, anybody anticipated. But still, nonetheless, our guy Anthony Michelle. He always just, he's just so tough on Dexter Dexter Fowler. 
Oh, is he? That's his his uh, pressure point. It's the Dexter Fowler deal, huh? Yeah, well, he says, you know, the Cardinals, everybody says, well, go get a center fielder. And he actually talks like that. And he says, so we, <laughs> what do we do? We go get a center fielder because Dexter Fowler, I mean, the isolate, go get talent, he says. Don't go for one single player. I mean, Anthony really gets angry when you bring up Dexter Fowler. I don't know. It's unhealthy, quite honestly. Well, I thought that Dexter Fowler uh, had a great career. I mean, you go, we go. He brought the Cubs a World Series championship. He will forever be etched in, in baseball history. Um, the, that leadoff home run in the World Series, how could you forget that? And I know he dealt with a lot of obstacles on and off the field during his time here in St. Louis, but I thought all things considered, when he was healthy, when he was right, he did contribute to the Cardinals. And tip of the cap to Dexter Fowler on a great career. Yeah, I agree. Same here. Anybody who gets to the top of their profession, whatever it may be, and has a lasting career like that and a world championship to boot, you got to uh, take your hat off and recognize, as they say. So, Dexter Fowler, congrats on a great career. Guys, before the Super Bowl, of course, we have the Pro Bowl. And Josh Allen, he was supposed to go to the Pro Bowl. He has an elbow injury. That means Ravens quarterback, Tyler Huntley heading yeah. to the Pro Bowl. Household name. Yep. Two touchdowns on the year. A great season for Tyler Huntley. He will be at the Pro Bowl. Marcy, I need you to help me out with something, Michelle. Please feel free to join in. Um, okay. How do we get here? Because this guy had, I think, two touchdown passes all year, I believe. And now he's in the Pro Bowl. So he gets to attach Pro Bowl to his next contract negotiation. What are we doing here? Was there nobody else available? Were they all busy? And good for Tyler Huntley because I would ride that all the way to the bank. What? I would have my agent get new new business cards printed out. <laughs> I represent Pro Bowler Tyler Huntley. Like that is going to be on the bottom of all my checks. <laughs> I'm writing that as much as I possibly can. And you know, when I first saw this headline, I, I had a bit of momentary outrage. Like, are you kidding? This this guy's going to the Pro Bowl. Like, no disrespect to Tyler Huntley. I say this with all due respect, but you are not a Pro Bowler, sir. But then, guys, I took a I took a beat, and I don't really care about the Pro Bowl anymore. I, I don't know about you guys. There is nothing about the Pro Shame Bowl on you, Michelle. that is interesting or entertaining Shame to me. You. So who, what do I care if Tyler Huntley <laughs> is there? I, it's not built for me. The ratings are surprisingly good for stuff like that. But um, I just think that the Pro Bowl has lost a little bit of luster. So it doesn't bother me as much as it might have in years past that somebody like Tyler Huntley got the call. Yeah, um, I'm with you on that. I guess the old school, the old curmudgeon in me. Is like, I'd like to see somebody go who, I don't know, call me crazy, deserves it. And it's not, I, I'm not upset at Tyler Huntley. I'm happy for him, happy for the individual. But I look at a kid like Kenny Pickett with the Pittsburgh Steelers. He had a kind of up and down and all around year. Ends up to where his team ends, ends the season uh, one game above 500. Another winning season for Mike Tomlin. He was a big part of it. He was a high draft choice. I don't know. I look at it like, why not give Kenny Pickett the opportunity since he actually played quite a bit and had some success? Also, isn't this so representative of what a weird year it was for quarterbacks in the NFL? You saw so many guys getting injured. There was this this big shift in changing of the guard. I forget the exact number. I wish I could look it up right now. But when I was hosting the NFL coverage one weekend, there was something like oh, it was a record number of quarterbacks that had been used this year. I can't remember if it's like 63 or 85. I will find the number for you in the break. But I'm sure when, when they were 
trying to figure out who's going to be there in place of Josh Allen, it was probably a short list, guys. <laughs> you <laughs> know, the, the, the guys like Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers want nothing to do with it. You know what I mean? It, it, there's so many guys. They're like, oh, Tua injured. Okay, who else? Is, who else can we call? Oh, Tyler Huntley's available. I, I bet the list was pretty small <laughs> of guys that were the next man up. That's a good point. What do you guys think of the the All Star Game and, and players being picked that that weren't initially picked? Like, do you, like what All Star Game? The NHL All Star Game? Just like or? any any All Star Game, like someone that fills in for a player that was chosen before. Yeah. Like, do you count that towards their career in terms of oh this guy went to X amount of All Star Games? It's like well the player really and the agent does. That's for sure. Yeah. If I'm a player in the NHL and whatever two or three guys get injured and all of a sudden I get the call, you better believe I'm wearing that all-star tag around. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's hitting the, that. I'm going to drop that thing on the negotiation table. Like it's a sledgehammer. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I don't think it matters for the players. They're fine with it, you know, because it's an opportunity for a guy who wasn't originally picked, but maybe not maybe it, but they're usually still good players. Right. That's why this Tyler Huntley thing's a little confusing because I feel like maybe it's because it's the quarterback position. And to your point, Michelle, the quarterback position was just a mess this year with injuries and guys that can't play. So maybe it's just kind of process of elimination. You ended up with uh, with Tyler Huntley. But for the most part, I think players are, are honored to go, even if they're second or third in line at their particular position. I do wonder for those guys that get the call for, let's say, an all-star game, if you've already made vacation plans because you didn't expect to go, yes, it's better for you because it's it's a resume builder and it's, you know, a, a better experience. It's it's a clout thing. Of course, you're going to want to go. But I wonder if there's a small part of some of these guys that are like, man, I was going to the beach. I was going to relax. I was going to be drinking margaritas with my girl. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and now sure. I have to go to the Pro Bowl, you know, and, and work out again. I don't know. Oh, no, I totally agree. And I bet you that it's the significant others who have <laughs> yes. a word in it, too, because, you know, football players and specifically football coaches, they're like married to the game in season. So when that season's over and you're getting ready to kick your feet up and mama bear wants to go out on vacation and you're like well pause that we're gonna go on vacation just to the pro bowl first and we'll have to rearrange everything yeah you might get a a little bit of a, the hairy eyeball from the from the love of your life that's sitting at home well at least it's in vegas though so that's somewhat of a consolation. Is that where she says, well, just go without me then? Probably not. <laughs> yeah, I doubt it. I doubt it. She's, I doubt she's going to be thrilled to unleash you in Vegas. <laughs> uh, guys, let's stick with football here. This news came out yesterday. We sort of talked about it at the back half of the show. But, Jamie, you were, of course, working with Bali Sports for the Blues game. Brock Purdy, he suffered a torn UCL, and he will be out for six months what do you think happens with Brock Purdy, and how do the 49ers deal with their quarterback situation this offseason? Well, for the 49ers, I don't think they have all that. As far as problems go, I think this is the least of their worries because Trey Lance is still undetermined. Jimmy G, they can try to bring back or move on from. Brock Purdy, who was a nice fill-in for the time, I, I still don't know if he was going to be the future quarterback for the 49ers. I still think he was... You know, going to have to compete for his job. And I still think Trey Lance probably had a leg up in that one just because of how high he was drafted. So I don't know if it changes anything that drastic for the 49ers because they can hit the free agent market. They can look for a quarterback or they can make a trade for one. But for Brock Purdy, this is the worst case scenario ever. Mm -hmm. You know, he 
He had his chance to Wally Pip everybody, which he did. You know, he leapfrogged due to injury Trey Lance and Jimmy G because he was available. And then he went in and played well. And he was undefeated heading into the championship game. And then he hurts his elbow his second set of downs in the game. And now he's out six months with surgery. Who knows if he ever gets that opportunity again? Because if the Niners go out and sign somebody or retain Jimmy G and then Trey Lance is healthy, where do you think Brock Purdy ends up? I think he ends up right there in that third string quarterback again, not getting opportunity. So this is the worst case scenario, in my opinion, Michelle, for Brock Purdy. I know, and it's it stinks for him because... What did they say? Luck is when hard work meets opportunity. And when that opportunity knocked, he answered. He really did answer answer the bell for the 49ers. And I know prior to that news coming down yesterday, there were legitimate conversations being had about what the 49ers do heading into next season. Do they hand the job to Brock Purdy? Do they have a Purdy-Trey uh, Lance battle in training camp, maybe? Are you going to try to move on from Trey Lance? I, I'm sure there were people already thinking about what he could command out on the market. And so this does settle a bit of a quandary for the 49ers because it does open the door for Trey Lance. The, this injury does answer some questions for them. But, Jamie, you know, there's all that stuff out there about Tom Brady going to San Francisco oh, yeah. or maybe Aaron Rodgers going to San Francisco. So I, I don't think that uh, the quarterback carousel conversation is in any way settled in, in San Fran. I think that there's going to be a lot of rumors and speculation about who's going to be under center until they actually sign somebody. Yeah, I agree. And uh, best of luck to Brock Purdy. Hopefully he heals quickly and uh, he gets his name back in the mix there. There was a trade in the NHL with the Vancouver Canucks and the New York Islanders. The name Bull Horvat may not be familiar to you. But that name may have just set the market for guys like Vladimir Tarasenko and Ryan O'Reilly. We'll get into that next here in the Fast Lane on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Injuries. Injuries throughout the season. Look at our roster, how many people are playing right now that weren't playing at the beginning of the year. It's not because we're stupid. You can imply that some of our players are stupid. Oh, they made a bad pass. No, it's injuries. We're worn thin, and that's a shame. Well, that was Mike right there with our mic drop, and pun intended on that one for sure. I appreciate your thoughts. Again, you can drop that in on the 101 ESPN mobile app. Just click on the little microphone, leave us a mic drop. The question of the day so far is who's to blame for the Blues' struggles? So feel free to drop that in. We're going to revisit that at the 345 time slot. So if we look at the NHL, we look at the Blues, we talk about who's to blame, we're going to get into that. Right now, something happened yesterday, Michelle, in the NHL that was a little premature. Um So it was kind of interesting, but I feel like it may have kind of set the market. We'll get your opinion on this. And Bo Horvat, who's a captain of the Vancouver Canucks, having himself an outstanding season. I believe he's 21st in NHL in scoring. I think he's like 8th or something in goals scored. Really good player. He was unrestricted free agent, so next year he could sign wherever the heck he wanted to. The Islanders identified a spot that they needed. They needed a guy that could score some goals. Now, the funny thing is... The Islanders had been rumored to be kicking the tires on Vladimir Tarasenko. And the Islanders were a team where Vladdy, at least when he submitted his list before, 
was a team that he would go to. So that was kind of intriguing. Well, that door is closed now because the Islanders sent Anthony Beauvillier, Atu Ratti, and a 2023 first-round draft pick to the Canucks for Bo Horvat. I'm not convinced that this is the market for Ryan O'Reilly and Vladimir Tarasenko. Now, when you look at this, Anthony Beauvillier, Michelle, he's a good young player. He's never really gotten the opportunity with the Islanders to be that offensive guy that he wants to be. Uh, Ratty is a former second-round draft pick, I believe, or first-round draft pick, and then they have another first-round draft pick in 2023. So it seems like a pretty good return. On the surface, before we dive in deeper, on the surface, does that seem like an okay deal for you? It, it seems like a, a a big haul, yeah. It seems like uh, they they knew that they had to put a lot on the table in order to get what they wanted. Okay, so here's where I get a different opinion on it for O'Reilly and Tarasenko. One, I think okay. the trade is great, but Bo Horvath's 27 years old. Mm-hmm. Ryan O'Reilly's 31. Mm-hmm. So when you do the comparisons, and Vladimir Tarasenko, I believe Vladdy's what, 31 as well, maybe 32 at this point. So you're not talking apples to apples when it comes to the age of the player. There's quite a bit of difference there, especially if you're talking four or five years in, in hockey years. That's a lot of uh, wear and tear on the body. So I don't know if this return that the Canucks got, I don't know if the Blues get that for Ryan O'Reilly and Vladimir Tarasenko. And the reason I say that is because, well, Vladdy's had a history of injuries, and he's back now coming off a hand injury, which you know hasn't really affected his skating, and he hasn't scored any goals, but he's getting some opportunities. But nonetheless, he does have the resume of the injuries, and so it's kind of concerning when you get up there in age, you know, what are you acquiring? And then Ryan O'Reilly's coming off a foot injury. And you know what what if you're a team that's looking to have a shutdown center, you don't know if that's affecting him. And how long will it affect him once he gets back to the ice? Because he's still going to be able to cover guys like McDavid or McKinnon, or if you get to the Eastern Conference, guys like Jack Hughes and so on. So I'm just wondering if we look at this and we think, okay, we're going to get a rostered player, a good young rostered player, um, a good prospect, and a first-round pick. I just don't know if that happens for the Blues. How much do you think, if we're just talking about Ryan O'Reilly specifically, how much do you think the resume would factor into those negotiations? The Stanley Cup, the Conn Smythe. He is a player when healthy, even though he is 31, and it's been a couple years since that Stanley Cup season, that you know has that veteran presence that knows what it takes to win. You know that he's a captain. He's a guy that can elevate a dressing room. Uh, He's a guy that's a force multiplier. He works harder than anybody and forces those around him to work harder. You know that if you acquire him, he's going to be someone that everybody else on your team takes note of. Oh, we got Ryan O'Reilly? Okay, here we go. How much do you think that factors into the negotiation? I think it does if you're a true contender. I think it does. Because if you're not a true contender, you have to look at it and go, we also might lose him. So if we're emptying the cupboards or we're giving up a bunch of assets, there's no guarantee that Ryan O'Reilly remains on our team. Now, if you're a contender, you don't care. Because you're looking to hoist the Stanley Cup and all trades that happen at the deadline, if you end up at the end of the year where you're drinking champagne out of the Stanley Cup, they were good trades. They worked. Mm -hmm. Nobody ever gets, you know, in trouble for those trades because, oh, it worked. We won the Cup. Who cares what happens? You know, what about the first-run draft pick? I don't care anymore. (laughs) I don't care. We got a parade going down here. So when I look at it that way, 
Uh, it has to be for a contender. But this is why Doug Armstrong, it's in his best interest to wait. Wait to the last possible minute because the more teams that start to identify that they're contenders come trade deadline time, the more teams are going to be willing to part with when it comes time to look for a Ryan O'Reilly. And then more teams get in on it, and you better believe Doug Armstrong, he's going to communicate to teams that, hey, we have several other teams interested in Ryan O'Reilly, mm-hmm. and you you better come with your highest and best offer, just like the real estate market. Bring me your highest and best offer for Ryan O'Reilly here, uh, or you're gonna you're gonna end up with no dance partner. And that's why I think it's essential for Doug Armstrong to wait on Ryan O'Reilly. I think Ryan O'Reilly fetches you a first round pick and a prospect. I don't think you get the full the trifecta of what Bo Horvat just got for the Vancouver Canucks. And I do think age does matter in this one here. And also, you know, the opportunity to re-sign that player because the Islanders apparently are, like, waiting now to make Bo Horvat an Islander for an extended period of time. Mm-hmm. So maybe they've had conversations, and maybe that made it easier for Lou Lamorello to say, I'm willing to give up more assets because I know that this player is interested in staying here on Long Island and being a part of this. Therefore, you don't feel like you're – you know, possibly wasting all of that that uh, player uh, acquisition, uh, the numbers, the guys' prospects. What I look at here, Michelle, is if we dive into Vladimir Tarasenko just for a mm-hmm. second, what does that do for his market now? Because there's not a lot of teams that are going to have room for Vladimir Tarasenko's cap hit. Even if the Blues retain some salary, which I'm sure Doug Armstrong doesn't want to do, There's only a select group of teams. Islanders were one of those teams. Now, the other team in the mix is the Carolina Hurricanes, who lost Max Pacioretty for the rest of the season, and he's a $500,000 difference when it comes to the AAV. Do you feel like the Carolina Hurricanes now are are maybe the only team that the Blues might be able to do business with based on the fact that Vladdy has a no-trade clause? Yeah, there's a lot of things working against Doug Armstrong when it comes to Vladimir Tarasenko. The injury history, the age, he is 31. Um, the the no trade, the money involved. There's a, When you look at Ryan O'Reilly, I think it's about finding the right dance partner. And you're right, the longer Army waits, and he's an expert at smelling desperation and striking when he thinks that the time is right. And with Vladdy Jamie... I'm surprised that Doug Armstrong held on to him this long. And I know that he said, I'm going to wait until we find the exact right deal. But I wonder if the the window has closed on the deal that he could have gotten when Vladdy initially wanted to get out of St. Louis, when he felt a certain type of way and wanted to move. And Army did promise him, once I find the right deal, we will get you out of here. But I just... I look at all of the different teams and all of the obstacles working against Army when it comes to Vladdy. And if it's not Carolina, then who? What what team would really want to absorb that risk? Yeah, and that's exactly it. You just described the biggest obstacle for Doug Armstrong during this whole process is that Vladdy has the no-trade clause. So Doug may have had five deals on the table, ready to wheel and deal and move on from Vladimir Tarasenko. And Vladdy said, nah. No, I don't feel like going there. And that's it. You've got nothing you can do as a GM. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out here, certainly during the break and then as we get closer to the trade deadline. Uh, but we got good news, Michelle. We've what got is it? Bradley Carnell coming up next. SDL City's head coach. I can't wait to talk some soccer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
Fast Lane here on 101 ESPN. Jamie Rivers here alongside Michelle Smallman for the show today. Anthony Stalter on vacation with the family. Well, we go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line right now to be joined by our guy, our head coach for St. Louis City SC, Bradley Carnell. Coach, how we doing today? Very well in you, Jamie. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, it's been a great preseason so far, and it's great to chat to you guys. Yeah, so let's dive into that. 4 nothing preseason win over Inter-Miami. I mean, that's a pretty big win, Coach. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's it's maybe a little bit skewed because we go 120 minutes. Um, but, uh, yeah, two groups, uh, we put out 60 minutes each. So we, we have uh, designated progressions uh, for the players and you know, we've been hard at work for for a couple of days now, nearly two weeks. So, um, just trying to get things going along nicely. But uh, yeah, I mean, while we don't want to look at the scoreline too much, and uh, I rather look at the way we play and and the type of uh, sort of relationships we're building on the field. Um, for me, it was more about just uh, the first camp, getting to know each other, getting to be around each other almost 24/7, to live, breathe, and eat uh, soccer. Um, and I thought the camp one was really successful with that and uh, even a good game against the Philadelphia Union who were, you know, the MLS uh, uh, finalists, uh, cup finalists uh, last season. So overall, I feel we've taken a good stride forward uh, as a group and uh, looking forward to a couple of days in market now and then uh, head out to California, um, yeah, just in the beginning of February. Yeah, Coach, you have a lot of challenges. Not only are you building this team from the ground up, but with that comes building chemistry with a group. So tell us what you've learned about this group, about your team during the preseason. Yeah, so obviously nice to be chatting to you, Michelle. Um, so obviously we're talking about grit and determination, and we're trying to build a style of play and, and trying to build uh, a soccer identity with uh, within the city of St. Louis. Now, we're trying to connect the dots with the history and the platforms that this city's provided previously. Um, and, and, you know, through a certain style and a game model and a work ethic uh, and, and just a level of respect, um, you know, that, that the game uh, deserves in this day and age, we're just trying to put all pieces of the puzzle together. Um, and one thing that I've learned is that, you know, we want to be a team who works hard. We want to be a team who competes till the very end. Um, so we adopt and apply these methods in trainings. Uh, very competitive nature. Everything we do means something. Um, so yeah, we've seen this over the uh, over the last two two games. Um, you know, there might be preseason games, but we had to come back from behind twice against Philadelphia. We got out the blocks very early on against uh, you know against uh, into Miami, and and we didn't take our foot off the gas pedal. So I see a hunger, I see a bit of desire, but you know this is early in preseason. Everyone's at different stages of their preseason, so we don't want to read too much into it and. We'd rather just keep focusing on ourselves. Bradley Carnell, head coach of St. Louis City. We're chatting with him. Bradley, you talk about style of play, style of player. What, for you, ideally, what does a St. Louis City SC player encompass? What, like, what are you looking for out of your players? If you have two guys standing side by side, what can one guy do to impress you more than the other guy? <laughs> one, one who thinks quicker than the other guy. <laughs> one is. One who's physically gifted uh, over the other guy and one who's got a plan ahead and is always a bit proactive uh, in his thoughts and his movements. And uh, obviously we're looking for talented soccer players, um, but we believe not just the talented soccer players, the, the best criteria for that. We, we're wanting to you know, find a player who, who can sort of um, supply multiple roles within the field of play. So we have a couple of all-rounders in the team that 
if we need them at an outside back or a six or a ten, like different positions on the field, we we can you know plug and play. And this is the beauty of the system. It's uh, almost a plug and play based on principles. So you know we've we've done a lot of scouting through the uh, last year, I would say, the last twelve months, uh, to find guys who fit the style of play. So um, and a couple of all rounders there. So Lutz, John Hackworth, myself. You know we've. We've done really, uh, you know, uh, I think in my opinion, we've acquired guys um, already last year and, you know, credits and, and uh, grateful for the ownership group to to allow us uh, that bit of flexibility and freedom to get guys here in market early on. Um, you know, the European guys, seven of them joined us last year, uh, June, July, August, um, and they've been growing within our system and style of play. So even a Roman Burke at 31 can still, you know, apply a new uh, phase uh, you know this you know soccer doesn't stop at 31 or uh, experiences at Dortmund don't don't end there so we're trying to to get guys to open up to to feel a little bit of accountability to a little bit of kind of uh, you know ownership of what we are trying to do here and get guys to buy in um, and, and get an appetite for what we are doing so yeah we're incredibly excited and uh, it's good to have the ball rolling now because we can slowly see it coming together. Well, Coach, I don't know if you know this about me, but uh, uh, while I played in the NHL, I played almost every single position available. I'm a hard worker. Uh, I'm good in the locker room. I might have a bit of an aggression problem, though, but I think we can work with that. We, we like this because we always, you know, I like the aggression part because that's something you can never turn up the volume. To get somebody to be more aggressive is a difficult thing to teach and coach, but you can always turn down the volume, you know, so I'd rather have good starting points with good aggression. And then we can start turning down your volume. So that's great, Jenny. <laughs> and Coach, we know that Jamie is the aggressive guy, and you can always call him if you need him. But one thing that I think is going to be so fun about this season is that St. Louis is going to get to learn about these players. They're going to identify who their guys are. You know, there's a, each fan is going to have somebody that they love to watch. So I need you to give us a bit of a, a scouting report. You mentioned uh, Berkey, Nilsson. I know that there's a lot of veteran guys that are on the team, but Who's emerged as a leader and who's emerged as Mr. Personality? Who are fans going to want to look to as one of the leaders and one of the, the people that is going to be entertaining? Yeah, listen, I mean, I think we have different players for different moments in, in the game. So, um, you know, you look at the back, you have a seasoned veteran like Tim Parker, uh, Josh Yarrow, you know, Kyle Hebert. But uh, a guy like Tim Parker, you could see from day one, obviously I've worked, worked with him before um, during my times at the New York Red Bulls. Um, he's a guy itching to get back into this type of uh, playing style. So he's taken on a leadership role. Um, you know, we spoke about uh, Joachim Nielsen, who hasn't been part of our group that much because he's just uh, had a hard time with uh, with a, a bit of a knee injury. So we, you know, we value his his leadership. And even when he's not on the field of play, uh, you can just kind of see the kind of mentor uh, that he is to the younger players as well. So we have some some good characters. You know, Indy Vasilev. He's always, I, I learned that he's a great singer on, oh. on preseason camp. So Indy Vasilev has, has got a great voice and, and seems to enjoy uh, enjoy the stage. So, um, you know, even on the soccer field, that's that's our stage. And uh, he, he feels very comfortable there. We've thrown him in in a, in a couple of positions. Uh, Thomas Ostrak is a guy just smiling all the time. You know, he's a very approachable guy, a uh, very talented individual, uh, very creative. Um, and then you have Klaus, right? So Klaus up front. Uh, he's almost like the big teddy bear. He gives the best hugs in the team. Like he just wants to embrace everybody um, and just get everybody on board and and uh, feel the excitement of this project. So 
yeah, we, we have a very uh, broad group, you know, in terms of what they bring to the table. But uh, And that's the beauty of it, to try and piece it all together and, and form something formidable. So, yeah, it's, a, it's an enjoyable project. Okay, we have to go back to the singing. I need to know what Vasilov sang and how you learned that he was a good singer. Good question. Um, I know John Gasparoni might be on the line. Uh, he could, yeah, I'm terrible with names of songs, but uh, <laughs> I can't remember. Well, that's all right. Those guys are always good for your locker room. Yeah. Uh, it's always uh, the glue guys. They keep everybody happy and keep it light in there. Coach, uh, yeah. w- one of the things here, the struggles, or, or not the struggles, one of the obstacles for an expansion team is, you know, look, you got to go get your guys. You got to build your team. You got to create this culture, this foundation. How important is a transfer window for an expansion club? Yeah, I mean, obviously it is, right? But uh, we, we did our homework or we did the work six months ago, 12 months ago. So we, we were starting to plan this thing a lot longer than this transfer window that's a, upon us now. So uh, with roster spots, uh, spots being filled, uh, you know, we've signed home uh, homegrown in Caden Glover. Uh, we've signed, you know, uh, a position that we needed to fill in Jabulo Blom from South Africa as well. So, you know, we've been very strategic in our market uh, and positional profiles as well. So um, I think that, yeah, business is just about done for, for this window. Um, you know, we might have something up our sleeve come, come middle of the year. And finally, Coach, last thing for me, tomorrow's February 1st. We're getting so close to the first game. What's the vibe like uh, around the club right now, knowing that you're about ready to kick things off for the inaugural season? Yeah, it, it seems that, you know, the ball is rolling and, and we treated this this group, whether it was City 2 and, and 7 pros from Europe last year, we treated this like the MLS team. So for us, it's just another day of work. For us, it's just another step towards the right direction. We've uh, had a great experience to close out the year against uh, Leverkusen last year. Um, so that was a, you know, a nice little um, sort of rehearsal for, for the big one. You know, on the, obviously on the 4th of March against Charlotte, but prior to that, we got uh, the away opener against Austin. So, but I feel this group is primed. This, this group's getting ready. They feel like they've been working together for a lot longer than they, uh, than just this January window or this preseason camp one um, exists to, or, or sort of, it just feels like a solid group straight away. Well, Coach, good luck the rest of the way here. We're excited to see everything continue to progress, and we appreciate you coming on here today and hope you'll join us again sometime. Thank you very much, Jamie. Michelle, thank you. All right, thank you again. That was Bradley Carnell, head coach of your St. Louis City SC. Michelle, it's getting exciting, getting closer and closer and closer here, and I know you're really excited, and I know a lot of people around St. Louis are. I can't wait, Jamie. This is going to be such a fun season for soccer in St. Louis, the first season for soccer in St. Louis. And how cool that we're watching something being built from the ground up that is ours. It's all ours. It's very awesome. And by the way, I love how you worked in a little mention of your skill set and about your game to coach there. Well, he did say, you know, he said over 31. He's not over. (laughs) I'm like, you know what? I'm slightly over 31 quite a bit, but I'm willing to help this team out. You know, whatever it takes, Michelle. And every team needs somebody like that. This, the guy that is the glue guy that's willing to sacrifice themselves for the betterment of the group. See, and I give pretty good hugs, too. So, you know, maybe that'll help me as well. I don't know. Either way, it was great talking to the coach on that one. Uh, what we got coming up next year, Marshy's got NFL four downs here on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's a fast lane here on 101 ESPN. It's 318. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers. Jamie Rivers here alongside Michelle Smallman for the show today. Anthony Stalter out on vacation. Marshy, it's time for NFL Four Downs. First down. All right, guys, this is actually breaking from Adam Schefter. Saints and Broncos are finalizing compensation in return for Super Bowl winning head coach Sean Payton. Sources tell ESPN this clears the way for Payton to sign with the Broncos to become Denver's next head coach. And so Payton is expected to head to Denver as the next coach of the Broncos. The question now becomes, does Sean Payton fix Russell Wilson? Is that even possible at this point? Yeah, so that's, I think that's the biggest question mark I have is why would he pick the Broncos? I feel like that's just such a disaster right now. Russell Wilson did nothing to show me that that's a guy that I'm going to hang my hat on as a quarterback. I know Sean Payton is an offensive guru, but man, Russell Wilson had a tough season last year and the pieces around him don't seem to be there either. I, I don't know. This, this is a, a bit of a puzzling decision from Sean Payton. But if there's anybody that can help that team or anybody that can fix Russell Wilson, it's got to be somebody like Sean Payton, Michelle. Yeah, you can look at this from a couple different vantage points, guys. From the Denver perspective, this is a home run. You you had eight candidates that you looked at. And I know that their CEO, Greg Penner, said that they wanted a coach that was going to create a culture and discipline and most importantly, an offensive identity. Well, who is better to do that than Sean Payton? He is a proven winner. You, He's worked with Drew Brees all those years. You know that he knows what to do from an offensive standpoint. I think his offense was constantly ranked top 10 in scoring. From the Denver perspective, they swung big and they hit a home run. Now, on the other side, Jamie, you're right. I don't know why Sean Payton, um, aside from compensation, would find this to be a very attractive landing spot. I know that Russell Wilson did show some signs of improvement after Nathaniel Hackett was left let go by the Denver Broncos, but the season in totality was just a big old mess. And not only with what we saw from him on the field, but everything we heard about him off the field. I know some of his teammates took to social media and and kind of defended him, but the stuff we heard about about the airplane, you know, when they were going overseas, about him doing high knees in the aisle, and how every press conference is, let's ride. I mean, it's spicy. Yeah. Oh gosh. <laughs> You're going into a situation with a, a quarterback who has has a lot of clout, you know, and. I know that Russell Wilson will probably mold himself to what Sean Payton wants, but it's still a t- it's a tough initial spot for him. I don't know. I'm just a little bit surprised that that's the spot that he would want to land. Second down. All right, guys, let's jump back to Sunday. Who had the most impressive championship Sunday performance? Oh, wow. Most impressive performance. I don't feel like anybody had an incredible performance, although if I'm going to drop this on one guy, I think, ah, I guess there's two guys. 
You got Kelsey and Mahomes, right? It's got to be Patrick Mahomes. The yeah. guy played on one leg. I know, Michelle. I know. I know. <laughs> I just, I was cheering for the Bengals, so it's tough. So was I. Really I badly, Jamie. I wanted the Bengals to win really badly. Yeah, I think you're right, though. I think it's Patrick Mahomes being able to get through that game uh, and do what he did. And then to have that big run at the end, where at the end of the game, that ankle's probably feeling not so great. And, you know, he tucks the ball and gets out there for the first down and then obviously he gets hit out of bounds and that's a difference maker but I guess uh, yeah I guess Patrick Mahomes also for uh, staying with Kansas City Chris Jones certainly deserves a oh, shout out yeah. what an unbelievable game by him big Jonesy he did he had a great one <laughs> third down guys Kellen Moore is now with the Los Angeles Chargers does Kellen Moore have more success with Justin Herbert well, uh, I would hope so. Justin Herbert is a tremendous quarterback. So here's where I the dilemma happens for me, and I don't know about you guys, but I look at the Dallas Cowboys and I go, hmm, was Kellen Moore the problem or was mm-hmm. Dak Prescott the problem? Right. And, and, you know, Shannon Sharp, who's a NFL Hall of Famer, and he's on, you know, un, undisputed with Skip Bayless and whatnot, and they go back and forth. But Shannon Sharp said the same thing. I was like, at what point do you stop firing people on your team and start to point the finger at Dak Prescott. And I know that he's the franchise quarterback and there's a lot of money and and what committed to Dak Prescott, but I don't know if Kellen Moore was the problem. So I guess when I see him with Justin Herbert, based on the fact that I think Justin Herbert is a better quarterback than Dak Prescott, I feel like, yes, Kellen Moore will have more success because I feel like he maybe wasn't the problem, but he's also getting a better quarterback now. Yeah, I'm sure he's looking at his situation saying the grass looks greener on the other side. I'm definitely going to. I know that he and the Cowboys mutually decided to part ways, but he's probably looking at that scenario saying, yeah, this looks like a good a good landing spot for me. But, guys, isn't that always the the conversation surrounding the Dallas Cowboys? Is it the chicken or the egg? Is it Mike McCarthy or is it Dak Prescott? Is it Jason Garrett or is it... Is it Jerry Jones? We're always trying to point the finger at somebody for for their ineffectiveness and their early playoff losses. And I I don't know whose fault it is, but Dak Prescott is seemingly the only guy now that can save Mike McCarthy because they got rid of essentially the entire staff. Fourth down. Well, another quarterback. They used to play for Mike McCarthy, Aaron Rodgers. Lots of rumors circling around. Mm. A.A. Ron, <laughs> uh, the hundred hands around his, surrounding his body. Uh, Sounds hot. Does it make sure sense? Does. <laughs> kidding, I'm kidding. Sure does. I had a magical experience. <laughs> does it Get make sense? Karma punched all <laughs> off season. <laughs> does it make sense for the Packers to move on from Aaron Rodgers? Michelle, what do you think? Yes, yes, yes. A hundred times, yes. I think that this relationship has reached the end of the road, and I think both parties are probably ready. What did Gwyneth Paltrow call it when she got divorced from Chris Martin, a, a conscious uncoupling? I don't think it's a straight-up divorce because they did have some good times, but I think it's going to be a conscious uncoupling. I mean, when Aaron Rodgers is coming out saying, I understand that my contract right now is not very uh, palatable for a lot of teams and I'm willing to adjust it, you know he's ready to move on. Yeah, I agree. I think it's time. I think that this has run its course in in Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers was not pleased coming into the season, didn't think he had enough weapons provided to him, and 
We know that he missed, you know, optional practices or optional camp in the offseason. I just think it's time. Move on from Aaron Rodgers if you're yeah. the Packers. And Aaron Rodgers himself, just, you know, maybe restructure your contract. Go somewhere where you can be happy uh, and get your karma punched all season long. Isn't it funny, too, how he's the heir to Brett Favre? And now here he is at this stage of his career doing exactly what Brett Favre did. This will I or won't I come back? He, you know, we we don't have Ed Werder on his lawn, but his hits with Pat McAfee every week are essentially <laughs> the Ed Werder lawn reports. It's, it's always shrouded in mystery. What is he going to do? It's just so funny to me how he followed that same path that Brett Favre had laid out before him on will he or won't he? Well, and he didn't like Brett Favre. You know, he went on to say, you know, how he was like unhappy with, you know, the way he was treated by Brett Favre, and then he, you know, he made comments after about Brett Favre with the mysterious, is he going to retire or not? And here he is doing the same thing with the same team involved, the Jets. Oh yeah, he could be going That's to the right. Jets. Yeah, and if you're the Packers, aren't you kind of sick of that too? I, I know that he is a Super Bowl champion, he's one of the all-time greats, but aren't you kind of sick of not knowing where you stand with this guy every off-season? I am. I'm sick of him anyways. I don't even have him on my team. <laughs> Get going. Don't let the door hit you. God split you. <laughs> All right. That's NFL four downs. We've got a great guest coming up next. Kyle Glazer, national writer for Baseball America. We're going to talk some prospects and some Cardinal stuff coming up here on the backside on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Fastlane here on 101 ESPN. We head out right now to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to be joined by our guy, Kyle Glazer, senior writer, Baseball America. Kyle, how are we doing today? Good. How are you guys? Well, we're good because all of our problems are solved here in St. Louis because we have a young man by the name of Jordan Walker that's just going to come in and win the MVP right away. Tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> uh, that certainly is a very, very aggressive prediction. As confident <laughs> he is, uh, he's still a very, very young kid who uh, has yet to play above double A. So I think uh, we should give him a little bit of time. But look, this is someone who's a very, very advanced hitter for his age. I think a lot of people see the big body, the strength, and you know the power is is pretty obvious. But what really makes him special is he covers the entire plate. And he's just so far advanced for his age in terms of his ability to handle different types of pitches and different parts of the zone. Um, he's not faced. He's not overwhelmed by anything. I mean, this guy was 20 years old in A last year and hit for average, hit for power. The walk to strikeout was fine. Um, he's a really, really impressive young player. That said, he's still a young player, and there will be ups and downs, and there are obviously always continue to get better at. So now if we're going to talk more realistic, for our Cardinals fans here that are listening right now, what should the expectations be for Jordan Walker just this upcoming season? I'm not talking long-term, five, ten years from now. I'm talking about you know spring training and then in the near future following that. What should the expectations be? The expectations should be that he's going to go to AAA to start the season. And, you know, depending on how he does there will determine how long he's there. Um, you know, he's going to be an outfielder. He, he's drafted as a third baseman. You know, he's played a lot of games there. But he's going to end up in right field. Um, so some of it's going to come down to injuries when he comes up as well. But, look, the Cardinals have a lot of outfield depth. They can afford to let him develop. I would expect him to spend a good chunk of the year in AAA. 
and maybe he makes his debut in the second half. Obviously, if injuries hit, that can be expedited, but um, this is not a case where I think the expectation should be he'll break camp on opening day with the club. Um, you know, if that happens, you know, good for him, and that's an incredible accomplishment, but that shouldn't be the expectation. The expectation should be go to AAA, probably spend about half the season there, and then make his debut sometime in the second half. Kyle, you're breaking hearts all over St. Louis. Everybody wants to see Jordan Walker on opening day. <laughs> well, again, you know, look, we have seen tremendously talented players uh, yet to play above double A force their way onto the roster with a great camp. I'm not going to sit here and say it's impossible or there's no chance it's, it's going to happen. Um, but look, he's someone who, again, he's 20 years old. He still has some things to work on. He can still be a little bit of aggressive at times at the plate in terms of, you know, he likes to swing. Um, there's still some things defensively for him to fine-tune and work on. This is not a, a ready-made, let's-go-right-now type of player. This is a young kid with a lot of promise, but he's still developing. He's still you know, learning to play the game at high levels, and, and some AAA time would certainly benefit him both individually and the Cardinals long-term. It's not going to hurt him. It's only going to help. Kyle, another name that's on the tongues of everyone in St. Louis is Mason Wynn. And you saw the Cardinals not be aggressive in the shortstop landscape during the offseason because Mason Wynn is coming down the pipeline. Tell us why he's going to be an exciting player for the Cardinals and what you see out of him. Yeah, so first and foremost, just his arm from shortstop is kind of amazing. I mean, he can throw the ball 100 miles an hour from short, which is not something we've ever seen before. Um, his throw in the Futures game last year was the, the fastest recorded uh, ever in professional baseball. So um, the arm strength alone makes him really exciting at shortstop. But, but what makes Mason Wentz so exciting is how quickly he's progressing as a position player. He was a two-way guy in high school who a lot of teams liked more as a pitcher. Um, and even you know last year in 2021, I should say, there was still a lot of sense that, you know what, his long-term spot is going to be on the mound. He's going to do shortstop a little bit in the lower levels, but he'll end up a pitcher like Casey Kelly did, like Matt Bush did, a guy like that. And then he came out in 2022 and just made such tremendous strides in such a short time. All of a sudden, it's, yeah, hey, he can be an everyday shortstop in the big league. So whenever you see a kid this athletic, this talented, who makes so big of an improvement in such a short time, it's exciting, and it makes you think he can improve even more in such a short time. So um, it's, it's the athleticism. It's the ability to improve quickly and and just the raw skills, right? He can throw a ball 100 miles an hour from anywhere on the diamond. He's a good athlete. He can run. Uh, he can make contact. He's starting to get into some power. He can do a little bit of everything. Now, before we get on to uh, Tink Hansen, Gordon Graceffo, because I'm really curious to hear about them, just doubling back on Mason Wynn, uh, are the days or the option of him pitching, do you think that's behind him now? Is, or does the player still want to kind of, you know, maybe do that? Or does the club, have they just said, no, we're going with the shortstop? Look, he's pitched one inning in two full professional seasons. Um, the Cardinals have been very, very upfront about wanting to develop him as a shortstop, you know, make him you know, a position player as much as possible and use pitching as a fallback. And with the success he had last year, there's no reason to, you know, pull that lever and, and put him on the mound now. Um, you know, having an everyday shortstop who can hit, potentially for power, run like he can and play defense like he can, you know, that's that's more valuable than maybe what he projected to be as a pitcher, which might have been more of a hard-thrown reliever um, with an outside chance of starting. So 
he's going to develop as a shortstop, and I, unless something catastrophic happens, I wouldn't expect to see him uh, pivot to the mound anytime soon. Well, sticking with the mound, uh, the next guy I want to talk to you about is Tink Hens, and this is not a household name for a lot of people, and even here in Cardinal Nation, you know, our guy Brad Thompson, BT, who's part of the Fast Lane, uh, he talked about Tink Hens quite a bit, and I was kind of like, that's a little off the board, but you're, what are we seeing from this young man? Because he seems to be climbing up the prospect charts at a pretty good pace. Yeah, you're seeing a really, really, really athletic young pitcher with wicked stuff. Um, it's really, really exciting. And on top of that, you know, control, which goes back to the athleticism. This isn't a guy who's just young and throws hard but doesn't know where it's going. Um, when you watch him on the mound, I mean, he, he kind of looks a little bit like Chris Archer, just like the delivery, the stuff, um, super young, super athlete. But Chris Archer struggled to throw strikes in the minors. Tink Hens doesn't struggle to throw strikes at all. So, I mean, the combination of stuff, athleticism, and control is really exciting. Um, the biggest thing with him is he's still very young. He's 19 last year. He still has to grow into his body and into his man strength. Um, he didn't pitch very much last year. Only 58 innings. He never pitched more than four innings in a start. Most of the starts were in the, you know, three inning range. So there's a big difference between showing electric stuff and control over two, three innings and doing so over six, seven, eight. Um, so the next step for him is going to be showing he can do this and maintain it and hold it over longer stints. But just when you look at the talent um, and the kind of the base foundation, it's pretty exciting. Kyle, we tend to be strictly locked in on prospects with the Cardinals here in St. Louis. But as you look across baseball, what's an organization that is doing a lot of exciting things with their farm system that maybe we Cardinal fans aren't paying attention to? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, the, the standard answer is the Dodgers. They seem to do everything right with their prospects. Um, but, you know, one club that's, that's you know, done – and then the Guardians as well for pitching. Um, I'd say one club that's done some interesting things with their pitching is, is the Mariners. Um, you know, they've done a really good job developing homegrown starters. You saw Logan Gilbert. You saw George Kirby. You have more and more guys coming down the pipe. And then they've done it a couple different ways. They've done a really good job of helping guys add velocity. Um, but they've also done that without having them sacrifice control and in some cases add control. That's very, very hard. Normally that's a trade-off. So, you know, look at the Mariners pitching development. They've done some really exciting things. Um, and then again, it's kind of your, your typical, typical teams, the Dodgers, everything they do, um, the Rays with their pitching, the Guardians with their uh, pitching. Um, you know, those are kind of the standard clubs. But the Mariners pitching development has been really interesting and successful over the last few years. When you look at the Cardinals' development and the way they've got players uh, that are emerging in their top prospects, from an outsider looking in, do you like the way the Cardinals are doing things from their minor leagues up in their development process? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at it over the last 10, 15, 20 years, you know, what team tends to get the most from their homegrown guys you know, it's Dodgers one and, and Cardinals two. I mean, the Cardinals have probably the longest track record aside from the Dodgers of having really good, impactful, homegrown talent come up through their farm system. Um, they've also done a great job of, of getting guys and helping them develop and then flipping them in trades. You know, Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado to go get stars. I mean, in a lot of ways, the Dodgers and Cardinals are kind of the, the standard bearers over a 15 to 20-year span. Now, the Guardians have done a really good job over the last 5 to 10. The Rays have done a really good job the last 5 to 10. Um, but the Cardinals are right there. This is one of the, the best farm, best organizations, excuse me, in terms of reputation when it comes to, you know, drafting, developing, signing, and then, um, you know, bringing up homegrown prospects. They're, they're as good as anyone.
Great stuff, Kyle. We really appreciate that. Again, that's Kyle Glazer, National Writer for Baseball America. You can follow him on Twitter at Kyle A. Glazer. Give him a follow. It's worth it. Kyle, we really appreciate your time today. Hopefully you'll drop in again sometime. Yeah, absolutely. Have to join you guys anytime. All right. Thank you so much. Again, that's Kyle Glazer, National Writer for Baseball America, with some good stuff on the prospects there, Michelle. Make me feel kind of good about what we got coming up here. Yes, great info from Kyle, and I think that the names that we discussed with him are the names that have been on all of our conversation lists. It's it's Mason Wynn, it's Jordan Walker, it's Tink Kent, and it seems like, you know, Kyle's right, we're always talking about that next crop of, of highly touted Cardinals prospects. Maybe not to the, the heights of the Jordan Walkers of the world, but we are always talking about that next man up with the Cardinals. That has certainly been an area of strength for them. It's just about injuries and, and do do they pan out? It's not about them identifying the talent and cultivating them. It's just, can they get it done? Well, some exciting stuff on the horizon, hopefully here for the Cardinals and their prospects. Some stuff that's not so exciting, unfortunately has been the St. Louis blues here recently. We, uh, we asked you for your mic drops we want to know who is to blame for the Blues' struggles. Well, you guys didn't disappoint. Apparently, Marshy's been working the phone lines over there like crazy, so people have a lot to say. We're going to find out next who is to blame for the Blues' struggles here in the Fast Lane on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Guys, I think we're asking the wrong question here. I think the question should be who's not to blame, and the answer to that is clearly Jordan Bennington, and pretty much everybody else is to blame. Uh, I can't really think of a – I mean, you could make the argument that Craig Berube is not, but he's the head coach, so some of the onus is going to fall on him, obviously. So, yeah, I think uh, Jordan Bennington, pretty much the only person in the situation who's not to blame. That's a fast lane here on 101 ESPN. We asked for your mic drops. That was Martin right there giving us a mic drop, talking about how uh, he's blaming everybody except for Jordan Bennington. Um, Some people feel differently about that, but we did set it up. We did set it up here for this segment to vent to us, the fast lane. We are your therapist. We're here to listen. We want to know who you feel is to blame for the Blues' struggles. So if we move the ball forward just a little bit here, Let's listen to what Trey had to say. So as far as whose fault this whole blues situation is, it's it's Doug Armstrong's. This is this is his product. This is ultimately it's it's on him. You know, and I know players haven't played their expectations, all that, and he's got dealt some tough hands, you know, with Jay Ballmeister and Carl Gunnison retiring, stuff like that. That's that's part of the gig. So I mean and a lot of this I would say going back to, to the nineteen twenty season why this team has declined and has become what it is with no identity. And it's, it's a lot of it, I think, is because he's played to his own hubris. And what I mean, you know, he's always prides himself on being a real shrewd GM. You know, he, he doesn't operate with emotion. And then, you know, and then on top of that, and then he always makes sure he has cap flexibility at all times because that's what smart GMs do. You know, he puts that stuff ahead of everything else. And then, and then, uh, oh, and then he won't let the players have have more power than him. That's why, you know, Alex Petrangelo's gone. 
you know, and then he, he won't he won't ever buy out a contract. That's why he wouldn't buy out Marco Scandella, and that's why David Perron's gone. He wouldn't allocate money for that. He wouldn't make moves to do things like that because it didn't feel like the smart GM thing to do. I don't know. That's just my take on it. All right, thanks, Trey, for the mic drop. Uh, so here's where I am on this one, Michelle. Okay. Okay, I think Doug Armstrong, if he was standing in the room right now, he would say, yeah, you know, the buck stops with him. That he is the president of hockey operations, the general manager. All decisions are his. All the final decisions are his. So I think Army is is accountable that way. But this is where I go with this: is if we're winning right now, and when Doug Armstrong has made shrewd decisions in the past, but the club wins, everybody likes that Army has no emotion. They like that stone cold killer that he just doesn't care. He has no emotion tied to the players. He just does business. That's our guy, Army. Mm-hmm. But now, when things aren't going well. There are people point at that as maybe a negative. So I don't know, where do you stand on some of this? Because I feel like we're happy when it works in our favor, but then we take the same exact opinion and flip it when the team doesn't do well. It's it's hard because you're right. They want a cup because Doug Armstrong is that stone-cold assassin and has that take-the-knife-jam-him-into-the-eye-and-into-the-brain-and-kill-him mentality. He was not afraid to move on from a David Backus and a TJ Oshie and fan favorites and and make moves that might not have been favorable at the time, but that were the right moves. And he has earned the benefit of the doubt. He has brought the only cup to St. Louis. Doug Armstrong did that. And by the way, he's not afraid to say that he made a mistake. Mike Yo was the heir apparent to Hitch. And when Army realized that that was not the right move, he pulled the plug. He said, I was wrong. And he assigned Craig Bruby as the head coach, which was such a difference maker. But I do think, and that was a great mic drop. What was his name, by the way? I should have written it down. That was Trey. Trey, great mic drop. I really loved that from Trey. But Trey is right there. There's some truth in what Trey was saying because if we're going to blame the players, ipso facto, aren't we blaming Army because he's the one that assembled this group of players? And I know that there's been injuries and he's had some tough things to deal with financially. But at the end of the day, he's the one that made these decisions. He's the one that chose to move on from David Perron. He's the one that chose to not give a no movement clause to Alex Petrangelo. He's the one that gave out the Marco Scandella deal. And the good news, Jamie, is that I still have confidence in him, even if he has to tear this down to build a new contender. Even if he has made mistakes, I still have every confidence in Army that he's going to find a way to put the puzzle back together and figure it out. But I think if we're pointing fingers, we should point at Army. And I think you're right. He would point a finger at himself as well. Well, look, when you're the top dog on the food chain, you make mistakes. You have successes and you have mistakes. I mean, not every move that a general manager makes or a business owner makes is you know the right thing you live and you learn from your successes and your mistakes and i think you know for doug armstrong right now is he's he's tried several different ways to do it and he's willing to dig his heels in and everything that he's doing he's trying to do it for the success of the club and i think that that's the number one thing is it's not like uh, when you look at some people like loose comparison like a jerry jones jerry jones would just fly off and he makes decisions because of his emotions and whatnot and i feel like army keeps it dialed in pretty good and if you look at the track record here for army he's had a successful run here this team has been in win mode 
since he's taken over. Now, they always haven't always had the team to go and do it, but the thought process has always been to go and win and win championships, and this team has been competitive during Army's tenure. So, you know, tough, tough moment right now for the Blues and Army, but, you know, nonetheless a great mic drop there from Trey. We got another one here from FedEx Joe, avid listener. Let's hear what Joe had to say. Good afternoon, Mr. Rivers, Miss Smallman, DJ Marsh, FedEx Joe, taking care of business, and Franklin Co. Who's to blame for the Blues? Quite simple, really. The players. The players? The players! Not the coach. Sad fact is, players won't really be held accountable. Yeah, we'll get rid of one of these UFAs, but ultimately, they'll find somebody to take the fall. My opinion, it better not be Craig Berube. And all these people that are pointing the finger at him, who would replace him? Like, seriously, like, if you're going to even bring it up, who's going to replace Craig Berube? And even if there's somebody out there to replace him, would they make the team better? Better than what he provides? No. The players are at fault here for this season. That's how I'll look at it. They need to hold themselves accountable. They need to be better. It's not on the coaching staff. It's on the players. Be better. The Blues suck because the players suck this year. Hate to be blunt, but it's a harsh world we live in, right? Get it together, guys. It's not Barubi's fault. The players are at fault. Thanks, guys. Wow, FedEx Joe coming with a little uh, venom on that one. So, uh, Joe, we appreciate the mic drop. And, uh, look, I think all roads do uh, should lead back to the players. Mm-hmm. The players ultimately are the ones that take the ice. They're the ones that have to perform the duties out there. So the head coach, I think you can look at the head coach at times if you feel like the team isn't prepared, but that's not the case here. Craig Berube, Steve Ott, Mike Van Ryan, Craig McTavish, those guys have been getting after it nonstop. I mean, look, Craig Berube is a Stanley Cup champion head coach, along with Steve Ott, Mike Van Ryan, Craig McTavish is a Stanley Cup champion player. These guys know what it takes. And when you're around the team enough, you see, you know, what the message is. You see what's being told to the players. You, you know what the expectations are. So, yeah, I mean, I've said it all week long and, and for a couple weeks now that everything – it's on the players. I don't know how you feel about that. Yes, they're the ones that have to go out there and perform night in and night out. And Jamie, I have a question for you because we we tend to look at the disparity between even even last year's team and this year's team. And I think a lot of people always circle back to David Perron because he was such a leader and a voice within that dressing room. But do you think that there's a leadership problem on this team? I know Ryan O'Reilly's been injured and there are guys that – are good leaders on the Blues team, but there seems to be an identity chip missing. And I, I don't know where who that person in in the locker room is to step up and unite everyone. And again, I know Ryan O'Reilly's a good captain and he leads in different ways, but do you know what I'm saying? Like it seems like there is that person that's missing, that guy that's not afraid to check everybody and be vocal and that the team kind of rallies behind and that is that identity point. It seems like that's one of the ingredients that they're missing. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree. The, the tricky part with that is everybody always wants the guy that rah-rah in the middle of the room is either yeah. getting the guys going or holding everybody accountable. That that falls on deaf ears after a while. After mm-hmm. a while, that after a while, that guy becomes annoying, and so you have to be 
very strategic on when you become that guy. So uh, this season's been a tough year for the Blues. So can you imagine if you have a guy that's vocal, that's calling guys out, it would feel like he's in somebody's face every other day. What do you think the feelings about that player would be? It'd be like, this guy's, you know, come on, like we're done with this. Like, get out of my face type thing. Go worry about yourself. Type, yeah. You know, and... But there, so that's why great leaders, you know, you, you don't just fake it. You're a great leader because you recognize the situation. You know when the time is right to talk. You know when the time is right to not talk to, you know, at, whether it's in front of everybody or it's a private conversation. Great leaders, it's instinctual. And so I feel like, I feel like the Blues have great leadership right now. I feel like they have the guys in place. Could they use a guy with a little more sandpaper in there? Possibly. Uh, but we don't really know what's going on behind closed doors. For me, I feel like the maturation of the young guys has to speed up a little bit. Everybody always looks at Ryan O'Reilly, Braden Shen, Justin Falk, Tory Krug. It's all on them. Mm-hmm. I look to the next layer of players. I look at the Robert Thomases. I look at the Jordan Kairos. I look at some of these guys that should be taking bigger steps towards becoming bigger leaders to accepting more responsibility. And I feel like sometimes they hide behind the older guys or the guys that we talk of all the time. So for me, those guys have to take the next steps. And that might be a tough position for them to be in because when you get the contracts like Cairo and Thomas did, you know that that's an expectation of you at some point, but you still have been in that locker room with those guys who are the leaders. So that has to be a fine line for them to walk to about how they grow and eventually exert themselves as a leader while also respecting the guys who've been there before them as leaders. Yeah, the easiest way to do that, though, is lead by example. Mm -hmm. You don't have to say a word. Get out there, practice hard, play hard, compete every single time, and the Respect, it finds you quickly. So either way, we're gonna do, we're gonna dive into part two of this following the gauntlet. We got a new contestant coming up in the gauntlet next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Can you survive the gauntlet? Time check 405 here in the fast lane. That's brought to you by Clarkson Jeweler, official provider of Rolex jewelry. We head out to Mike online here for the gauntlet today. Mike, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, buddy. I'm doing pretty good. Well, you've got uh, Michelle Smallman. You've got Andrew Marsh. And you've got myself available for the gauntlet today. Who are you looking to play against? You know, I'm going to go with Michelle just because you don't get an opportunity that often with her. Yeah, I don't blame you. Well, Michelle, what we'll do is we'll communicate with you through text message. Because Michelle is located in the studio right now in New York. And, of course, trust is a big thing here in the fast lane. Uh So Michelle's going to exit her studio, and then we'll text her when it's time to come back. All right, Mike. All right. So you've picked your opponent. Now let's let the wheel pick the topic. You know the rules, right? We go one, two, three, spin that wheel. One, two, three, spin that wheel. I think this is a first in the gauntlet 2.0. Second. Second time. You got baseball, Mike. How do you feel about that? I'm feeling better. (laughs) All right. Well, 
I, I like baseball a lot better than basketball, so we're good. Oh, good. All right. So here's the rules again. We'll go over them in case uh, you don't remember or some of the listeners haven't listened to the gauntlet before. There'll be four questions. If you answer the questions correctly without using the options, you get two points. If you use the options and you answer correctly, you get one point. If you don't answer it right at all, well, you get zero points. If you're tied, after four questions, we'll go to a tiebreaker, and we will get a winner here today in the gauntlet. Mike, are you ready? Ready as I'll ever be. All right. The category is baseball. Question one, who has hit the most home runs in World Series history? Hmm. Well, let's see. I'm going to say it's an old Yankee like Babe Ruth or Lou Gehrig, something like that. Uh, I'm going to go with Babe Ruth. Final answer? Yes, final answer. Thank you. All right, Mike, question number two. What year was the last time there was a game that ended in a tie in Major League Baseball? Well, that had to be the All-Star game, but I forget the year. I'll take the options. The options are 1935, 1962 or 2016? 2016. Is that your final answer? Final answer. All right, Mike, question three. How many times did Albert Pujols win MLB MVP as a Cardinal? One. Final Final answer. answer. Yep, final answer. Final question for you. In what year did St. Louis change its team name to the Cardinals? Oh, I got to have the options. The options are 1900, 1905, or 1910. I'm going to go with 1905. That's strictly a guess. Final answer? Final answer. All right, well, we're going to work at getting Michelle back in here. Mike Ryder is uh, communicating with Michelle. There she is. She's back in her seat, putting her ears on. Michelle, welcome back. Glad to be back. I'm very nervous about this. Yeah, you should be, Michelle. I hope you (laughs) packed a lunch, as we say here in the fast lane. Are you ready to go? As ready as I'll ever be. And I did not pack a lunch. I'm starving. So this is not going to go well. well. Maybe it'll work out. You never know. Sometimes a hungry player is a better player. You never know. Category, Michelle. Baseball. Okay. Question one. Who has hit the most home runs in World Series history? Well... I imagine it's one of those old Yankees. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you could go a lot of ways with that. The first name that came to mind was Babe Ruth, obviously, or maybe Mantle. Um, give me the options. All right. The options are Babe Ruth, Mickey Mantle, or Lou Gehrig. I feel like Babe Ruth would be too obvious. So, Ruth Mantle Garrig, give me Mickey Mantle. Final answer? Final answer. All right, thank you. 
Question number two, Michelle. What year was the last time there was a game that ended in a tie in Major League Baseball? Oh, my God. Options. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. 1935, 1962, or 2016? All random years. Um, give me 62 because I, I don't know. The later year, would you say 2015? The uh, option numbers or option numbers. Option C was 2016. Yeah, I feel like with TV contracts these days, I don't know something money-wise probably played into that. So give me give me 62. Final answer. Final answer. All right. Question three: How many times did Albert Pujols win the MLB MVP as a Cardinal? I want to say three. And I'm afraid if I ask for the options, you'll say like one, two, three. Or something. You know, I'm, I'm trying to save some points here. Um, gosh, this music too, just really gets your heart rate up. The pressure. It's intense. Um, give me three final answer. All right. Last question, Michelle. In what year did St. Louis change its team name to the Cardinals? Oh, no idea. Options, please. Is it 1900, 1905, or 1910? Oh, weird. Okay. Um, Well, the Browns were still in existence. So, in the, after these dates, um, give, okay, give me 1910. Final answer. I have no idea. All right, let's go over these. And let's, I should know that. That should be a fact I know. Was that your final answer? Yeah, that's my final answer. These were tough. All right, let's start right there. In what year did St. Louis change its team name to the Cardinals? Mike used the options... He said 1905. Okay. Michelle, you took the options. You said 1910. The answer is? 1900. 1900, apparently. (laughs) I guessed you, Michelle. Bogey's got that one wrong. Okay, let's go to question one. Who has hit the most home runs in World Series history? You literally both almost said the same thing. It's got to be one of those old Yankee guys. <laughs> right? It has to be. Yeah. Well, Mike, yeah. you picked the old Yankee named Babe Ruth. Michelle, you picked the old Yankee named Mickey Mantle. You used the options. The answer is? It's Mickey Mantle. Mickey <sighs> Mantle. One nothing, Michelle, right now. Let's head to question two. What year was the last time there was a game that ended in a tie in Major League Baseball? Mike, you took the options. You said 2016. Michelle, you took the options. You said 1962. The answer is? 2016. 2016, the game, it was the Pirates and the Cubs, and the game ended in a tie because of weather and because the game didn't impact anything to do with the playoffs. There we go. All right, we're down to our final question, which you both had different answers, which you both did not use the options. Oh, boy. How many times did Albert Pujols win the MLB MVP as a Cardinal? Mike, you said once. 
Michelle, you said three times. Mike? You have chosen poorly. You lose! Michelle gotcha. It was three. Oh, yes! Michelle uh, Smallman from the top. Hello, <laughs> Michelle. Oh, I'm sorry, Mike. I was ho- I was cheering for you. I was hoping you would win. No, that was a good one. That, that was a tough, uh, tough one. I, I enjoyed that. Well, Mike, you did a great job, man. We uh, appreciate you listening. We appreciate you playing, man. I hope you have a good day. Thanks, guys. You too. All right. Thanks a lot, Mike. Take care. Michelle, look at wow. you go all the way from New York dropping the people's elbow. Le- the people's elbow. <laughs> love that. You know, with Albert's final season, I just feel like I heard three-time MVP so many times, but you always second-guess yourself in that moment. The music is going, the pressure is on, you don't know what Mike said. That was really stressful. I can't believe I won. We had some texts, too. They want to clear some things up. Uh-oh. Not Major League Baseball MVP, National League MVP. Well, Marshy, I just read the question I'm providing. Of I am yeah, Ron Burgundy. I'm not blaming you. Okay? I just read what you get, put in the prompter. He get robbed one year. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think. But I think it was another well, St. Louis end. All complaints can be directed to Grant Francis, who is the uh, CEO of the Gauntlet Question Department. So we'll we'll make sure we forward that along to uh, <laughs> to Grant for you. All right, we talked about the Blues uh, before the Gauntlet, talking about who's to blame for the Blues. We're going to carry that over. So the mic drop feature is available. The 101 ESPN app. Get on there, click the mic. We're going to revisit that next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Jamie, it's simple here. Lack of leadership and Army. Army blew this thing up. He got rid of Petro, he allowed him to leave. Then you freaking get rid of uh, Perron when you're hoping you're going to get to Chuck. You should have had that deal done before you let Perron go. So that's two big leadership roles that's left. And now it, it, the place is in shambles. Uh, don't know what to say. Uh, I love Baruby. He shouldn't go. But, I mean, I don't know what else to put this uh, back in the players' hands. There's no leadership on this team, no accountability, and it's got to stop. Well, that mic drop there was from Rick, and we asked you guys all day so far, who's to blame, in your opinion, for the Blues' struggles? You can still click on the 101 ESPN mobile app, leave us a mic drop, or you can chime in on the text line, Air Comfort Service text line, 314-399-9646. Michelle, so far out of the handful of mic drops, we've heard a couple different things, but one that's kind of come back around is, you know, like Rick said, he's, he's... Putting, he's placing the blame on Doug Armstrong and the leadership of the Blues. Um, it seems to be a common theme. It it does. And I know a lot of the blame is going to be assigned to the players too, but this is the group of players that Doug Armstrong put together. What do we say? The, the POHO and the GM, they provide the ingredients and it's up to the coach to cook the meal. Well, if the eggs are broken and the milk's gone bad what is the coaching staff supposed to do if the ingredients aren't the way they expected them to be when they opened the bag right so i i i would be surprised if we heard from a lot of people today saying that they thought craig Bruby or the coaching staff was to blame but if it is the players and it is doug armstrong it's up to him to make some moves and shake things up and get them out of this mess and i think he will i think that that's one thing uh when it comes to doug armstrong is 
you know, I don't think Doug believes that every move that he has made since becoming president of hockey operations or general manager, I don't think he believes that every one of them has been a success because they haven't. And Mm -hmm. if you're a realistic individual and when you're in a position of power like Doug is, you have to recognize where there's been misses. If you can't recognize the misses, how can you fix things? How can you ever change what you're doing or look to improve in other ways if you don't identify where things maybe went wrong? So I think Army, during this break right now, has probably got a full evaluation going on. I mean, from the top to the bottom, probably a self-evaluation, probably talks with the coaching staff, talks with the players, talks with the minor league system. He's a very thorough individual, so I can ima- I imagine that that's going to take place a lot during the break. So again, your mic drops here on 101 ESPN. We got a good one here from Jacob. I don't know if there's any one person you can blame on this Blues team, but I know who you can't blame. You can't blame the goaltending, and you can't blame the young guns. Torpchenko, Alexandrov, Neighbors, I mean, even Callie Rosen. Those guys are playing like they have nothing to lose. And I think it's, you know, the other guys are, they can't be sent down to the minors, and they're playing with it is what it is attitude instead of trying to fix things. So, good one there. Thank you, Jacob, for the mic drop. Jacob basically saying you can't blame the young guys in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what? I think all players are accountable in this situation. You, you, just because you're a young player doesn't necessarily get you off the hook, you know, because if you look at the Blues' young players, there's a lot of those guys that are being leaned upon heavily because Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas fall into that category. They're young players. Even though they've been in the league for more than a year and they're not rookies, they're still young players. So the expectations for those guys, um, especially given the long-term contract extension and the success that they've had in the past, I think the expectations for those guys, I think we need to be placing blame on everybody. I don't. Do you feel like the young guys should kind of you know, get out of this scot-free? No, I don't think anyone is absolved of blame. They're going to win as a team. They're going to lose as a team. They're going to get criticized when they don't perform as a team. But I do think when you get the big contract, the expectations for you and your contributions are different. And I know for some guys that contract weighs heavily on their minds and they might press in the first year of that deal. It takes some players time to settle into that new role, but I think that if you're going to get a big deal like Robert Thomas, we're going to expect more of you. We're going to expect more of you as a player. We're going to expect more of you as a leader, um, more than than somebody like a Callie Rosen. That's just how it, the the dominoes are going to fall, whether it's fair or not. When you get the money, things are different. Yeah, I agree. And when I look at some of the other players that were mentioned by by Jacob, you know, talk about the Alexandrovs and the Torovchenkos and even Callie Rosen, who's not a young guy anymore. Callie Rosen's uh, a veteran player, uh, those guys are giving you what you needed. But at the end of the day, when a team is struggling like this, you got to try and give more. You have to offer to do more, to try harder, to compete at all times. And I'm not saying that they have to go and try to be something that they're not. I think consistency has to be part of their talent as well, being the young guys that come in. And if you're a third or a fourth liner or a third pair defenseman, 
You have to bring the best that you possibly can every day to the ring. You got to push your teammates. You got to make them better too. And again, it goes back to that leading by example. All right, we got a final one here from Matthew. Who's to blame? Oh, so many ways to go with this. But I think the blame has to be on the players first and probably the GM second. The one person I'm not going to blame is Craig Berube. I think him and his coaching staff do a great job of getting the most out of their players. However, I think the issue here is you have a GM who built a very un-Craig Berube-like roster. You go back and you look at 2019 and the big bruising type of team that they were, and they just wore you down. And I just don't know if Armstrong consulted with Berube when he built this roster, but it seems like Army's trying to transition to more of a speed game, and I just don't think that fits the type of player that Craig Berube needs to run his system at maximum efficiency. All right, so let's dive into this just for a second. Craig Berube type player, okay? It's not Pat Maroon. So everybody automatically thinks, oh, when you think of Craig Berube, that kind of player, well, you know, if you're a creative player, well, it's Pat Maroon. That's Craig Berube's guy, right? He, Pat Maroon is certainly a guy that Craig Berube loved to have on his team and was a huge part of the Stanley Cup championship here. And all I mean by that is Craig Berube has been more than capable of coaching all different kinds of players, whether you're a dynamic goal scorer with speed and high skill and all that Craig Berube has been able to coach those guys. It's not just the chip it in and play heavy down low and cycle the pucks. What it is, though, is it's it's a mentality that Craig Berube wants. Ryan O'Reilly is a Craig Berube-type player. When's the last time he ever hit anybody? Honestly, he doesn't. Yeah, good point. And he's, he's in consideration year after year for the Lady Bing Trophy, which is the least penalized player in the NHL. But we look at Ryan O'Reilly and we go, well, that's a Craig Berube type player. Sure. But he checks all the time. He's tenacious out there. He's always hunting down the pucks, but it's stick on puck. He's lifting guys' sticks. He's stealing the puck. He's taking the right angles to get body position on players. So being a Craig Berube player doesn't mean you're a big, physical, imposing guy out there. It just means that you're willing to compete to the utmost of your ability and for the entire 60 minutes of play, Michelle. Well, if that's the case, then I don't think that this is a Craig Berube roster because how many times have we heard Craig Berube or Doug Armstrong talk about the compete level of this team? Yeah, no, I agree. And it hasn't been there. And that's the biggest thing. That's the most, I, I, I don't know, crazy question that I've got about this club is you know what the expectations are mm-hmm. from your from your president to your coach to your captains, you know what the expectation is, and yet you're not getting there. You're consistently not bringing a full effort. So it's going to be interesting to see what the Blues do here following their all-star break slash bye week. Uh, we appreciate all your mic drops so far. I'm going to throw another question out to our listeners right now is we've talked about who's to blame for the Blues' struggles. Well, let's park that right now. I want to know what you would do. What's next for the Blues? What would your next move be if you're Doug Armstrong right now to try and right the ship? So, again, jump on the 101 ESPN mobile app, click the mic drop feature, and let us know what you would do to improve this St. Louis Blues team. We'll get that. We'll get to that at the 515 slot. But coming up next, Michelle, am I crazy? 
Yeah. We'll find out <laughs> right here on 101 ESPN. <laughs> We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You're crazy. Am I crazy? We're talking paranoid delusional psychosis. Do you have any crazy thoughts or opinions? Buckle up. It's a crazy season. Send them our way for the fast lanes. Am I crazy? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. Come on, let's get crazy. Fast lane here on 101 ESPN. We ask the question, oh, quite often around here in the fast lane, am I crazy? The answer is usually yes. So, anyways, text line, 314-399-9646. Shoot us an am I crazy, and we'll dissect it for you. Marshy, what do you got for us? Yeah, for me, I'm going to start with uh, the NFL. Am I crazy to think that Sean Payton could resurrect Russell Wilson, his career? Yeah, you've lost your mind. I'm just saying, Sean Payton, he's worked with a small quarterback before, obviously, Drew Brees. He's taken over a, a franchise that was not in, uh, you know, a, a good spot in the New Orleans Saints. And I feel like he's a coach that doesn't really take crap. And we've seen Russell Wilson sort of be the guy that wants to dictate everything. I think that Sean Payton can really be that guy that, you know, that wrangles in Russell Wilson. I see this as conflict just waiting to happen. I really do. I feel like Russell Wilson's got... For, for this good guy, you know, like overall appearance that he tries to have out there to everybody, like he's just the greatest guy ever mm-hmm. and whatnot, I feel like he's a nightmare to deal with. I feel like his ego has gotten the best of him. I look at a guy that kind of like a diva. He marches to the beat of his own drum, according to some of his teammates, not always the greatest teammate. Um, you know, you if you want to talk to Russell Wilson – Uh, Rumor has it you have to go through his publicist because he doesn't give his own teammates his own phone number. Like, what are we doing here? I Sean Payton, but to your point, Marsh, is a no-nonsense type guy. Michelle, I can't imagine that this is going to go swimmingly right away. Can you imagine, Jamie, if your teammate said, here's my publicist number? Reach out to that person if you want to get in touch with me. I think I'd smack them upside the head, honestly. (laughs) I, I would be, you got to be kidding me right now. There's no coming back from that. No. You're always going to view that person through that lens. Like, oh, you think you're so special. You think you're that much better than me. And that's where I think the big, big problem is with Russell Wilson. He's a talented guy. He's He does do so many great things. We see all of the things that he does for charity. We see him doing things with kids in hospitals. But that's the problem. We see it all. He is so worried about Russell Wilson, the brand, and I know he's a hard worker, but he needs to be more concerned about Russell Wilson, the football player, and less about Russell Wilson, the brand. And it does seem like bringing in a very well-established voice like Sean Payton, you are setting the tone that there's a new sheriff in town. His voice is at the top of the food chain, and if you want... but. They gave him the contract. I, I was just going to say either fall in line or don't, but what are they going to do? Yeah, he's he's the already got the contract. He's already so, been rewarded for exactly. nothing. Exactly. So I don't really know what Sean Payton will do if he can't get Russell Wilson to go along with the program. But um, 
Yeah, I don't know, Marcia. I think you might be crazy. I don't know if there's any if there's any fixing Russell Wilson. Hi, knees, Jamie. Hi, knees. Yeah, hi, yeah. knees. By the know, way, guys. Michelle, if I was on a flight over to Europe with my oh. team and I had old high knees Russell Wilson in the aisle doing that stuff, again, I think I'd smack him. Actually, you know would what? You BT trip and him? I no, BT and I agreed that we would have just carried him off to a seat somewhere tied him down or yeah. duct taped him there and be like, here, you can just do your high knees here, sitting in your own seat. I can't believe his teammates let that happen. There's you know what I would have done? Someone should move it. I, I would have done reverse psychology because he gets off the plane, he meets with the media and he's like, I was doing high knees in, uh, in the aisles. I'm so focused on the game. I would have been like, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. I saw him watching Bravo in the back eating hot flaming Cheetos. He's lying. <laughs> I, I would have just gone after his image. I would have been like, if you're so focused on telling the media how dedicated you are, I'm going to make it my life's mission to tell the media that you're a slacker. He I'm going to counteract your messaging. He drank yeah. everything on the plane. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He brought his own cooler from home. <laughs> we were playing cards. He was cheating the entire time. <laughs> exactly. Don't believe a thing he says. <laughs> totally. I love it. You got another one for us, Marshy? Uh, let's look at uh, the text line real quick because I saw one that came by a little earlier and this sort of goes hand in hand with what we were talking about of who's to blame. This is from the 636. Am I crazy or was there an unanticipated flat cap from the pandemic for a team that planned on spending to the cap? Uh, yeah, but look, everybody had to deal with that. So look at all the best teams in the NHL right now. They all had to deal with the same rules. It's not like not like the NHL came in and said, hey, St. Louis, by the way, we know you're a cap team. We're not moving the cap, so screw you. It's <laughs> Everybody had to deal with the same obstacle of the cap not moving. And so I don't, I don't use that as an excuse. I, I think that there are moves that can be made. Look at Bill Guerin in, in Minnesota. He came in and he just said, I'm going to buy out the two top heavy contracts in Suter and Parisi put them in cap hell until next year. They're in the playoffs right now. So it can be done. You can go through these things and still put together a team that's, you know, playoff bound or at least looking to battle for the playoffs. So I don't blame that. I don't know about you, Michelle. I feel like everybody had the same rules. It wasn't a personal attack on the Blues. That's what you're telling me. <laughs> Imagine that, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of the Blues, I have one for you guys. And oh, am I crazy? I like this. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So this is my first time doing this. So I hope I get it right. Am I crazy to think, and I love David Perron, that it's not David Perron that the Blues are missing, but it's a Jay Bomeister. A guy who's going to give you the minutes. He's going to shoulder the workload. I think back to 2019. Who extracted the best from Colton Pareko? It was Jay Bomeister. They were a shutdown pair. They they took Bergeron, Pasternak, and Marchand, and, and they eliminated them. And I know that we expected Colton Pareko to be the guy that eventually elevated others, but Maybe that maybe that was a misread a little bit, but I think they're missing a Jay Bomeister on this team. That veteran presence. Michelle, you are so correct yes. right now. I'd you know like that. to call you crazy because it's more fun to do that, but uh, you're not. Yes. I, we've been talking about a little bit here uh, in the fast lane from time to time, but you're right. Jay Bomeister absolutely solidified Colton Pareko as an NHL shutdown defenseman. And I think that, honestly, I think that that's where it caused a problem. And let me explain is I feel like Doug Armstrong was willing to play hardball with Alex Petrangelo thinking I've got Colton Pareko because look how good he's playing. 
But I don't know if everybody gave enough credit to Jay Bowmeister for the job that he did as his partner. So now Colin Pareko deserves credit, too, for the way he played. But those two together were fantastic out there. Two really big guys. They both skate so well. Jay Bowmeister was like this quiet assassin out there. He didn't say much, but, you know, he led by example. And really... Without Colton Pareko and Jay Bowmeister paired together, I would argue that you don't win a Stanley Cup because of mm-hmm. the job that they did together. So, no, you're not crazy at all. And In fact, I think it's a great, I mean, a great observation. All right. We're going to dive into a little more blues talk here coming back in the next segment. I want to talk about the roster. I want to talk about the decor. I want to talk about the foot. You know what? I just want to talk about Everything St. Louis Blues coming up here after the break on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Fastlane here at 101 ESPN. Jamie Rivers here driving the bus today alongside Michelle Smallman, who has been awesome here the last couple of days, helping us out, that's for sure. Michelle, we have dissected a lot of different things negatively uh, that have been going on with the Blues, and we're trying to figure out what the problem is. I kind of want to dive into a bit of a roster evaluation here. And I'm not talking like a scale of one to five or an A or an F or things like that. I'm just looking at this roster from the standpoint of what can be fixed and what can't be fixed. So if we look at right now, you can't help injuries. I mean, they happen. And the Blues have been affected quite a bit. You know, Mm -hmm. what would this team look like with Marco Scandella in the lineup? Now, people... There are a good group of people that don't think Marco Scandella should be part of the team, part of the roster right now. But there are other people that realize that Marco Scandella is a really good penalty killer, too. He, he played a lot on the penalty kill for the St. Louis Blues team that was very successful on the penalty kill last year. So would he be able to help maybe in a you know a bit of a platoon duty with Mikola? They're in, they're out, one in, one out. I don't know. Scott Perunovic, you know, what is he day to day? Is he an is he an everyday NHLer? He really hasn't had the chance to to mm-hmm. prove that. He's unfortunately the young man has been bitten by the injury bug nonstop since he's uh, come out of college. So you've got those two question marks there. But when you look at the Blues defense core right now, you got Letty, Pareko, Falk, and Krug, Bortuzzo, Mikola, and Callie Rosen. If you're looking, if you're not, if you take your St. Louis Blues glasses off right now and you're just looking at it from an outsider looking in, what do you think of that decor? Is that a playoff type defense core for you? I don't think so. No. Um, Not only from what my eyes have shown me and, and the lack of consistency that we've seen from them this year, but I would say on paper, too, I wouldn't be very excited. Uh, individually, you're excited about about some of those guys, but as a collective, I don't think that would strike intimidation in the hearts of the opposition come playoff time. So, in my opinion, the one thing that's missing from, the, from this decor, and I do believe in these guys, I do, but you said a good word, too, consistency. Like last night, 
is a game that unraveled, and we talked about three veteran defensemen that were a part of three of the goals that happened. Those guys got to be locked down. But the one thing that's missing for me, in my opinion, from this decor is a number one defenseman. Mm-hmm. Define that, right? Well, it's easy to define that. You got number one defenseman in Colorado is Kale McCarr. In uh, in Las Vegas, yeah, it's Alex Petrangelo. You yeah. did have him, but yeah, he's, uh, he's over there now. Victor Hedman in Tampa Bay. That one piece of the puzzle that no matter what, you know exactly what you're getting, and it's an elite player on both sides of the puck. Not just good defensively and not just putting up tons of points like Eric Carlson. He's a great player. I don't view him as a number one defenseman because he's very one-dimensional. He'll give you a ton of points and he'll run your power play great, but will he be there come playoff time? I don't know. That's a question mark. So I don't know if you agree with me, but I feel like because this blue line is not, we'll call it sexy, with big names that everybody recognizes, I feel like having a number one defenseman would certainly help. Absolutely. That's a component that they're missing. But don't you think that they assumed that Colton Pareko would grow into that role? And that brings us back to that discussion is I think that, look, the young man still has plenty of opportunity to continue to develop and evolve as a player. But I think that the Blues figured his evolution would be quicker. Mm -hmm. I think that when they were willing to play hardball with Alex Petrangelo. I believe all of us actually believe that Colton Pareka was ready to take over that spot. Those, I don't know if anybody ever realized just how big those skates were to fill. And I, I mean that because Colton Pareko coming off the Stanley cup championship and to your point, Michelle paired up so well with Jay Bowmeister. He's got all of the, ingredients that you'd want out of a defenseman. He's massive. He's in great shape. He skates while he shoots the puck over 100 miles an hour. He's, yeah. He closes guys out defensively. But he's not quite there to the number one defenseman yet. And I think that people thought he would be there. So maybe that's one of the areas right there where you can improve still without having to go and spend for it because maybe Colton Pareko gets there eventually. Yeah, it's so easy for us right now to throw darts at some of Army's decisions when if you actually look back and examine the retrospective, I'm with you, Jamie, at the time, as much as it hurt to watch Petro walk, I think a lot of us felt confident about Colton Pareko, and we thought, well, it's going to sting for Petro not to be here. Great captain, first guy to hoist the cup and in St. Louis Blues franchise history, but Colton Pareko is going to be that guy. So they're going to be okay. And Army struck quickly getting Tory Krug coming off that that Stanley Cup final with the Bruins. You felt a certain way about Tory Krug because you saw him in action. Even though the size wasn't there, you, you still felt like, okay, this could be good. And again, at, even though it hurt, at the time, in the moment, it didn't hurt as badly as it probably hurts looking back on it now because you expected Colton Pareko to be that shutdown guy. To your point, you expected him to have that booming cannon shooting shooting at the net all the time. You thought that we wouldn't be having this conversation in January of 2023 about him not being a number one guy. Yeah, I totally agree. So as, we, as I kind of put a bow on this here regarding the decor, I do think the talent is there. I do think the ability is there. I feel just like you do, Michelle, and a lot of people watching this Blues team, that unfortunately the consistency has not been there. From shift to shift, game to game, period to period, however you want to put it out there, there's always that one moment of period or that one moment of game where the wheels kind of fall off 
and it costs the St. Louis Blues. And so for me, the, this defense core, although they're lacking, in my opinion, that number one guy, I do feel like there's enough in place to where they can be successful, but each guy has to be consistent. So we'll continue to dive into the Blues roster. We'll visit the forwards tomorrow. But we did uh, ask for your mic drops earlier regarding, you know, what would you do next now if you're the St. Louis Blues? We identified what we think the problem is or what you think they're, the reason is that they're struggling. So what would be your next move now? What would you do if you're Doug Armstrong? We'll get into that at 515, but coming up next, the Sports Six Pack. You can ask us anything at 314-399-9646. Coming up next here in the Fast Lane, Sports Six Pack. Right back to the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I have a question. It's time for the Fast Lane to answer your sports questions. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I want to have them answered immediately. Answer the question. Answer the question. Asking me all these weird questions. Answer me! The Sports Six Pack is refreshed by Schlafly Beer, the original St. Louis craft brewery. 504 here in the fast lane on 101 ESPN. That time check brought to you by Clarks and Jewelers. Jamie Rivers here driving the bus for today alongside Michelle Smallman, who's been doing a great job with us here again today. It's time for the sports six pack. So if you have a question that you want us to answer, send it in to the air comfort service text line at 314-399-9646. Marshy, what do we got? Question number one. Guys, we were talking about Jordan Walker earlier today. This is from the 816. If Walker has a year like Gorman last year, is that positive? Oh, I think so. Yeah. But knowing Gorman hit, what, 17 home runs last year for the Cardinals, and I think he had like 15 or 16 in AAA as well. I mean, that's that's a 30-dinger year. I know that some of those are in the minors, but yeah. I'm not expecting miracles right away out of Jordan Walker. And If he shows that kind of power... I'm going to be excited because everybody we talked to, Michelle, we just talked to Kyle Glazer Mm -hmm. earlier. Uh, And if you missed that, you can always go back and download the podcast. That podcast brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto. And Kyle Glazer talked about how, you know, maybe he's only got, maybe he's only going to get 20 to 25 home runs, but he's going to mix in the doubles. He's going to have maybe a high average. So if I got a guy like Jordan Walker hitting the ball, like, Nolan Gorman did as far as getting it out of the park. I think that's a positive. Yeah, he had 14 home runs last season um, at the major league level. But, Jamie, even if he had that uh, type of season, a Nolan Gorman type of season, do you think that Cardinals fans (laughs) would be able to view it as a positive? There's no way. They're like, a lot of sense. You know what I mean? This is why earlier in the show, I I was trying to say that my view of this Cardinals roster is not going to be shaped around the possibility of Jordan Walker because. If you get if you get something from him this year, amazing. But we should not be banking on this young young player. I need to. How, how old is he? I need to look this up. Jordan Walker. Uh, yeah, I twenty forgot. years old. He's twenty years old. That's right. His birthday is. Let's see. When's his birthday? When does he even turn twenty one? He's so young. He's twenty years old. Are you gonna we take re- him to Fast Eddie's for his first he, beer as a twenty one year old? We should throw him a twenty first birthday party. <laughs> it's May twenty second. It's his twenty first birthday. Should we send out little invitations and everything? We should call him up and say, Jordan, we are so excited for you. We are gonna throw you a rager of a twenty first birthday party. And also, will you come on our show every week? There we go. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll work well out done. a little deal. I like we that. Can, we can get sponsors. It'd be so fun. 
But anyway, he's he's not even 21 years old. This guy can't even legally drink a beer at Bush Stadium. And we're going to expect him to come in and all of a sudden hit 30 home runs at the major league level in, in one season and light the, light the world on fire? No. So I think if he comes up, we see flashes of what he's capable of. He gets a little seasoning at the major league level. I think that's a positive. Question number two. From the 402, new listener from Iowa. Question, are there still Rams fans in St. Louis after the move to L.A.? Who do people in STL root for? Oh, gosh. Well, Tanner Hendrickson, a well-known Rams fan, even though the team's in L.A. now. Um, Well, Michelle, I won't speak for you because I'll let you have the microphone here. But uh, I'm just not a Rams fan at all. Uh, I'm an NFL fan. I mean, I like NFL football. Don't like everything that happens, but I'm def- me, I'm definitely not a Rams fan anymore at all. Question for you, Jamie. Uh-huh. If you were married and yeah. your wife cheated on you with someone, left yeah. you, and got married to them, are you going to the wedding and giving them a gift and wishing them well? Uh, depends. What do I think of my wife? You loved her. You had great times oh, okay. together. Okay, I thought it was the other way. I'd be like, yeah, I'll show up and even bring a gift. <laughs> <laughs> no, you desperately wanted the marriage to stay together. You did everything possible to yeah. keep it together. No, I'd be furious. Yeah. I'd want to burn the church down. Although I wouldn't, you know, of no. course, because that's not very nice. Right. Um, but I'm just saying that's where my rage would be, would uh, would be in that direction. Yeah, we're not committing arson, but mentally we are. Men- <laughs> yeah, mentally, we're at arson. Mental arson. Right. Yes. And arson is- judge. Arson. <laughs> Judge, yeah. Yeah. Arson adjacent. There you go. But we, um, I don't think there's many Rams fans left. I'm sure, just like T Bone, there are some stragglers who just can't let go. Um, but I am never going to cheer for people that betrayed me and betrayed my city. And I think that they're a big bunch of losers and I can't stand them. And I wish them nothing but harm. Word, Michelle, word. <laughs> I should say harm because that sounds aggressive, but I don't want them to win. Mental, I want mental a, harm. Mental a mentally, great big lack of success not. for them. But you know what? I will say, though, guys, as the, yeah, emotionally, financially, especially, as the years <laughs> have gone on, though, the feelings have lessened. They won the Super Bowl, so it's just kind of like, eh, whatever. But I, I don't get joy out of them stinking. Like this year was a disaster for them, and I didn't get the joy out of it that I should have. I kind of am apathetic. Do you, do you even care anymore, though? <laughs> nah, like I, I feel really. like we're kind of past that point where it's like, all right, whatever. Like I was upset when they won the Super Bowl, Every but now, now I'm just like, to just move on. You just move yeah. on, you know. But isn't that the best revenge? Is to take the 790 million dollars and say, "Good luck to you. They're your problem now." I don't mind that. Question number three. This one comes from the. 314. Jamie, can the Blues afford to lose another leader slash voice in the room like Ryan O'Reilly? Wow, that's a good question. Um, it's not ideal. And, you know, leaders, we, we, we established that earlier in the show, is leaders aren't always the guys that are standing up, calling everybody out and, and you know, being the, the, the policeman of the club. A lot of times, some of the best leaders just go out there and lead by example. And that's where I put Ryan O'Reilly. His best attribute for me is the way he leads by example. And from the moment he became a St. Louis Blues player, he has done that. He's been the guy, first one on the ice, last one off the ice, working with the young guys, getting extra work in uh, by himself. Now his voice has evolved as, as a St. Louis Blue, and I know that he carried a big voice in that locker room during the 2019 Stanley Cup run. And... You know, he has a tremendous amount of respect 
uh, from his teammates. Uh, guys just love Ryan O'Reilly. If we lose a guy like that, yes, it affects your it affects your locker room. It just does. I mean, all the pieces that you've lost. If you go back to, you know, Alex Petrangelo, David Perron. If you do lose in Ryan O'Reilly, Jay Bowmeister, silent guy, but when he spoke, guys listened. So. This is, again, Michelle, where I say the maturation of the young guys has to happen because it's inevitable that you're going to continue to lose players. It's, it's the way the game works. You have to have guys that can fill that void after. And this is one of the things I think is a, a, an incredibly difficult conundrum for Doug Armstrong because financially, and it, as he's trying to put the business side of this puzzle back together, Ryan O'Reilly is a valuable asset for you to deal. You you could put yourself on paper in a better position, right? But you talk about the maturation of these young guys, but it hasn't happened at the speed that you want it to happen. And when we're talking about compete level not being there and identity not being there, is it really going to serve them to remove another voice that people will listen to out of the dressing room? We saw what it was like when David Perron left. There's there's a void there. Imagine the crater that's going to be there if David Perron is gone, Alex Petrangelo is gone, Bo Meester, and now Ryan O'Reilly is gone too. I, I know Braden Shen is still there. Jordan Bennington's still there. You have veteran guys like Justin Falk. But there is something to be said about having a guy there who's been through the battles and won and that he's going to stand in the room and not only lead by example, but when he speaks, you know that he has the body of work behind him, that he knows what he's talking about. And so I know it's going to be tougher to move Vladdy, but I would look to move a Vladdy before I would move a Ryan O'Reilly if I could, if I could make it work. Question number four. All right, guys, this is to both of you from the 618. Does what you focus on change in sports coverage when you can see highlights on TV versus just discussing it on radio? Seems like both medias cover sports but do it differently. Hmm. Mean Meaning what? That it's yeah, like e- TV versus radio? TV versus radio. Oh, man, Maybe I don't know. Maybe in the way you present information. I don't know. Well, Go ahead, yeah. Michelle. Well, I was going to say, I, I would think so, uh, especially, Jamie, you having to do both. I mean, when you're on TV, you are talking about a specific play that you know the audience is watching. Or when you're talking about a specific player, you know that there's video there to supplement it. Whereas when we're developing an argument here, we don't have that visual aid to rely on. So we really have to have all of our notes and we have more of a runway to build an argument or an opinion um, rather than be aware of something else that we have to kind of structure what we're talking about. Yeah, that's a great point is, you know, when you're doing the TV side of it, you absolutely have the visual to where, um, you know, you can point out a certain play and people have seen it or if it's a replay that's going on or if you're, you know, doing like I do and get up with the telestrator and you're breaking it down, you're visually seeing it. Whereas on the radio and Marsha, you know, this is a lot of times where I've got to strip it down to the foundation and kind of set the stage properly so that people can create their visual by using the words that I'm I'm providing to them. So you got to really go into more detail. So Michelle, that's... It's a good point. Yeah, you do change. I think we change the way we present it uh, based on whether it's TV or radio. I don't know if I change the way I research things because if I watch SportsCenter um, highlights, I look at it. But I also get in the car and I listen to the radio and I listen to ESPN radio, I listen to Sirius radio. And when I hear guys break it down on the radio, I'm pulling up different pieces of information than what I just saw visually 
So I guess I use I use everything and kind of throw it into a big bucket and go from there. I don't know about you, Michelle. Yeah, um, the limited work that I've had in TV, I know that you have to be far more concise because you have less time to make your point. So I think my prep is the same, but my execution is completely different. I'm gonna take out maybe, you know, when I'm writing my notes here, it's like topic, question, here are a bunch of stats, here are all my thoughts. It's like pages and pages of stuff. Whereas on TV, you might have the pages, but you're gonna extract maybe three really important things because you only have a small amount of time to get that across to the audience. No, very true, very true. All right, well, that was your sports four pack for today. Uh, we got the biggest question of the day coming up at 5.30, so please uh, drop us a mic drop for biggest question of the day or maybe even a 314-399-9646 air comfort service text line. We'll get to biggest question of the day at 5.30. But coming up next, we asked you for your mic drops. We've already gone over of what we think the blue struggles have been. We want to know what your solutions are. What would you do if you were Doug Armstrong? What would you do if you were the St. Louis Blues moving forward? We're going to get to those next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. first move you have to make is to trade Tarasenko and get a pick and maybe package that pick with one of your defensemen, either Krug or Pareko, so you can move on. You have too many middle-of-the-road defensemen making pretty good money. I think you have to find a way to bring Ryan O'Reilly back. You can't keep having the leaders of the team leave and expect it to be what it was. It just doesn't make any sense. All right, that was Randy leaving us a mic drop on what he thinks the Blues should do moving forward. So, again, uh, that's the question right now. What do you think the Blues should do? What should Doug Armstrong do here with the St. Louis Blues moving forward? I'm Jamie Rivers here driving the bus. Got Michelle Smallman joining us here for another little bit. We asked for your mic drops, and we want to know, what do you think the Blues should do? We got Luke who left us this. I like this question a lot better because I don't think blaming anyone really solves the problem. Um, but this year's draft is super f- good. I would have tore things down before this season because of that. But get a first rounder for both O'Reilly and Tarasenko. Give yourself a five to eight percent chance getting that number one overall pick. Trade Barbashev for what you can and just retool, but this draft is super good, and we, we could retool the farm system, which is very much depleted right now. Yeah, he is right on that one. Luke, thank you for the mic drop. This is a very deep talent pool when it comes to the draft. Now, it, it is not just isolated to the first round, but that's certainly where you want to end up. But, Michelle, it's easy to say now, right? Like, in mm-hmm. hindsight, people go, well, I don't know. I would have done this so that I could have been in the running for the first overall pick. I would have tore this down sooner. The Blues up until, what, seven to ten days ago were like four points out of a playoff spot. Right. How do you tear it down before you get to the point that you're at now? Like, I feel like this is the tipping point. I feel like the Blues are going to move in a direction of 
you know, moving some of the assets or making some roster moves. But up until this point, I feel like it would be very difficult as a president or a GM of a hockey club to just say, okay, that's it. We're tearing it down. Yeah, Army always wants to keep the window open to win. And this team is in that middle of the pack. They're in that muddy water in the middle. And I don't think that there's anything that they could have done over the last two games to really shift the opinion heavily on where they are, but they have had a lot of obstacles with with injuries, et cetera. And I know Army needs to make some moves and a lot and and he needs to sell some some pieces off. But Jamie, I don't know if it's so much of a re of a teardown and a rebuild as it is a retool in a lot of ways. What do you think? No, I agree. I, I, first of all, you know, I've talked at nauseum about the length of contracts and the number and the amount of money that you have committed to. Uh, a lot of the players. So you can't do a full rebuild. You've got too many pieces in place that are part of your foundation. So the retool or reconfigure, however you want to use those words, is where you have to go. And right now the options that I see are your your free agents or your pending unrestricted free agents. You try to get what you can for that. And I do think that uh, the mic drop was correct. Our listener was correct. And by the way, that was James on that one there. James left us that mic drop. Our guy Marshy Marsh here uh, had him flip-flopped, or I read them wrong either, or I'll blame myself. No, 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 no. I got to take accountability for that, Jamie. There you go. Something that apparently has been lacking. There you go. <laughs> there you go, Marshy. But either way, I think that you have a lot of pieces in place, and just a simple you know, little retool I think gets the Blues back in the playoff picture uh, as soon as next year, for that matter. Heck, maybe even this year. You never know. Sometimes there's addition by subtraction and weird things happen. All right, we got another mic drop here from Luke. Hey, guys, there's no quick fix here. If you're the Blues, you got to realize that you are in a hole right now. And the best thing you can do when you're in a hole is to stop digging. So you can't lock yourself into all these long term contracts. I'm all for when they extended the younger guys like Thomas and Cairo. And you have to have some complimentary players if you don't want to go into full tank mode. But you can't keep handing out these contracts, and you can't just trade them either. These are some non-tradable contracts, particularly on the defensive side. But I think you do need to trade some of these guys, like O'Reilly, like Tarasenko, maybe even guys that we do like their play, like Assad and Shen guys who have value so that you can have a few more swings at some of these draft picks. You may not like your second and third round picks that you get in return for them. They're not going to be the big first rounders, but give yourself a few more chances to swing and miss on some, but you're going to hit on some other ones. Thanks. All right, Luke, thank you very much for the mic drop. I'm going to disagree with Luke. I think that if you start tearing it down that deep, you're in full rebuild at that point. You know, like if you're talking about moving on from O'Reilly and Tarasenko, uh, and then, you know, Luke's talking about Shen and Saad, I, I don't know how you feel, Michelle, but, like, you have to keep some of these pieces in place because otherwise then you're going to have a whole bunch of money committed to some defensemen and some of the young guys, but then your product is going to be you know, your your team is going to be competing to try and barely get into the playoffs, but they won't be able to get there because you've traded away everything. I, I think that would be almost counterproductive. Yeah, I agree. I, Jamie, as you were just talking there, with contracts notwithstanding, because I know a certain 
situ- financial situations and contracts are a, a big obstacle for Doug Armstrong. If everybody on this team was able to be made available, are there any untouchables for you? Oh, wow. Well, it's hard to say that, right? Because then what's your return? Mm-hmm. And so I, I always, you know, the old Wayne Gretzky thing. Well, even Gretzky got traded because there was a big return for said player. So if you got more, if you got something that was astronomical as far as a return for a player like Robert Thomas or a Jordan Cairo, I, like if, I think you'd have to look at that. I think that all trades are possible. I don't feel like you have the Connor McDavid on your team right now or the Nathan McKinnon. I do think that there's some really good talent right now here for the Blues. I think that Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo certainly have proven that they can be good elite scorers at the NHL level. But, no, I don't think there's anybody that's untouchable on this roster. Which I, th- I think is part of the problem because I'm not even saying that the Blues need that big superstar like McKinnon because they've shown historically over the past couple of seasons they don't need that guy to have success. They're built on a team-first mentality. But even in years past, we would have a list of, what, three to five players that we would say would be in that untouchable bracket. And I think that that just shows that there is a lack of chemistry and identity because e- – even and yes, a, a player like Robert Thomas, you would of course hate to lose. But we're talking; we are so focused on how we write the ship that we're not even thinking about these guys are definite pieces that we need to be part of the foundation moving forward. Yeah, no, it's an interesting question, and it's uh, it all comes down to winning and losing, right? Because if the Blues were in a playoff spot, not even dominant, I'm not even talking about first place in division. If they're just in a playoff spot. I bet you we'd have longer pause over players that would be untouchable. And the reason that would be is because the team would be successful, which means those players are probably contributing to a greater level. So therefore we would deem them to be untouchable. So it's crazy. Wins and losses Mm -hmm. really do dictate sometimes how you view your club and sometimes how you evaluate your own players. So anyway, some great stuff there from the mic drops. Great job by all the listeners today contributing uh, throughout the show. We asked you for the biggest question of the day. We talked about leaving that on the mic drop feature, the 101 ESPN app. Give us your biggest question of the day, or you can shoot it over to the Air Comfort Service text line, 314-399-9646. We'll get to the biggest question of the day next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Time for the Fast Lane's biggest question of the day. It's a Fast Lane here on 101 ESPN. Jamie Rivers here with Michelle Smallman, Anthony Stalter out with the family down at Wally World. So we'll be uh, cleaning up things here for Anthony Stalter. We asked you for the biggest question of the day. Said to leave us a mic drop or to shoot us a text at the Air Comfort Service text line, which is 314-399-9646. Marshy had a text earlier today. Said, man, that was a great question. Kind of lost it because we get a lot of action going on. And then lo and behold, our texter became a mic dropper. So we got that question. Marshy, what do we got? This is from Nathan. My biggest question of the day is which current St. Louis Blue is most likely to get traded to the team that is going to win the Stanley Cup. Who's going to win the Stanley Cup? 
and what are we getting in return for the player that goes to that team? I feel Ooh. like this used to be like a running joke before the Blues actually won the Stanley Cup, where it seemed like there was a player. Oh, yeah. A former blue that was on every mm -hmm. cup winning team. And we're like, oh, well, there's that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it did happen for a while there. All right. So, wow. This is a, this is a broad spectrum here when it comes to teams that could win the Stanley Cup. The Boston Bruins have a pretty good team. Ryan O'Reilly has been rumored to be in the mix with a lot of different teams, which I don't blame teams for kicking the tires there. I would as well. One of the biggest rumors out there has been Ryan O'Reilly to the Toronto Maple Leafs. And uh, although I don't want to lose Ryan O'Reilly, if this is if we've got to play the game of the biggest question here, Michelle, which means we're mm -hmm. forced to make uh, a trade, we're forced to answer this. Yes. My trade would be to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, Ryan O'Reilly would go there and the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, end their curse and go on and win the Stanley Cup. And in return, Marcia, who's that young kid? Nice? Matthew Nyes. Matthew yeah. Nyes. I believe he plays on the same line with uh, Jimmy Snuggerud at uh, University of Minnesota. Yeah, I think he does, yeah. And so that would be an interesting fit to have Jimmy Snuggerud, who you've already got in your system, and now you add uh, Matthew Nyes to your team. So I, I could see that along with a first-round pick would be the grab because I think the asking price is going to go up. I think the Maple Leafs are going to panic. All heck breaks loose, and Ryan O'Reilly goes to the Maple Leafs, and that's your return. Okay. That's what I've got, Michelle. Interesting thought process there, <laughs> Jamie. Um, I'm with you guys. I used to call the Blues Good Luck Chuck. Does anyone remember that terribly mediocre Dane Cook movie? That's a where great ev movie. Every <laughs> girl he dated. Movie. Of course, Marcy Jessica Alba's it. in it. Well, yes, it just got correct. better. But the premise is Dane Cook dates Chuck in the movie, dates these girls. They break up with him, and then the next man that they meet is their husband. <laughs> He's always the gateway to them going to the altar. So all these girls are lining up to date Dane Cook, to date Chuck. And it felt like the Blues were Chuck for a while because everybody would come to the Blues, they would leave and they would get to hoist the cup. Um, and thankfully, <laughs> they they shedded the, the Chuck out of their system. <laughs> okay, so who, but if we're going back to the good luck Chuck model, who is gonna be the next one? Well guys, I look at the team that I think is most likely to win the Stanley Cup, and I think that's the Boston Bruins. Ooh. And yeah, I know it feels gross even saying it out loud. <laughs> Disgusting. Um, and I think about pieces that might be intriguing to them. What about Ivan Barbashev to the Boston Bruins? That's a good call. I think that that they would look at him as one of those pieces that they need to get them over the edge. Well, not that they're over the edge, they're there, but just to solidify them as a real cup contender. Um, again, they're already a cup contender, but just that that extra piece. And now that Horvat's off the board, I think Barbie could be a very intriguing option for the Boston Bruins. So that's gonna be my pick. And I hate to say it uh, on so many levels, but I think it could, it could be a good fit. I like that a lot, actually, just because Boston has seen what Barbashev can do in a Stanley Cup setting. Hell, he was out for one game, and, and they lost. The Blues lost, so they know mm -hmm. what kind of impact he can have on a playoff game. We saw last year his physicality it amped up that much. Sam Gerrard gets injured, and that whole series somewhat changed, uh, of course. 
you know, from the back end of Colorado's perspective, but then, a, you know, a few minutes later, Jordan Bennington goes down. So the whole series changed. But, yeah, Ivan Barbashev, I could totally see it happen. And I could totally see Ryan O'Reilly winning the Stanley Cup, just not with the Toronto Maple Leafs, because I do not believe they will be breaking that curse anytime soon. <laughs> I was just trying to go with some of the rumors, Marshy. <laughs> but, no, your, uh, your pick of Ivan Barbashev, it does make a lot of sense. Marshy, you bring up, you know, his success against the Boston Bruins in 2019. Let's not forget his success under Jim Montgomery, too. Monty was the coach here, assistant coach here last year, and Barbie had his breakout season. I'm not saying it's, you know, simply because of Jim Montgomery, but I guarantee Monty had something to do with it. And if nothing else, even if Monty had very little to do with it, he had a front row seat for it all season long. So if you're looking to, if you're the Boston Bruins and you're looking at, how much do we have to give up for maybe a Ryan O'Reilly? Mm-hmm. Maybe you look at that and you go, we got Patrice Bergeron. We got David Krejci. We're pretty solid in our first couple of lines. Maybe if we add an Ivan Barbashev, it doesn't cost us as much. But we know that the return we're getting with this player is going to be pretty good because his, uh, his old coach is here and we saw him in 2019. So, Michelle, I, I like that one a lot. Marshy, you got the big mouth. What do you... Spit out some truth here for us. Uh, well, let's look at the names that potentially could be traded. We have O'Reilly. We have Tarasenko. And we mentioned Ivan Barbashev. I, I, none of us have said Tarasenko. And if you want to look at... But he's puzzling because he has to agree to That's it. That's the I thing. Know. I know. So and I know we mentioned Carolina. They're a good team. I just, I don't know if they're a playoff team. I don't know. Oh, they're they, a playoff team. I don't know if they're know a they're Stanley Stan- Cup okay. contender. That's what I mean. I don't okay. know if they're a, yeah. you know, a deep run type team. We saw. But does Vladdy change that? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if he does. I don't even know if Max Pacioretty would have changed it. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're just one of those teams where they make a decent run. They did uh, in 2019 when they faced Boston in the Eastern Conference Final. But I don't know if they're a Stanley Cup team, so it's hard to go with them. If he goes, maybe the Rangers. We had some texters texting in earlier today saying that the Rangers and Devils were two teams that potentially Vladdy could be a landing spot to. And, you know, you look at the Rangers. We saw how far they got last year. Maybe Vladdy is that guy for that team to get them over the hump. Uh, so, I honestly, I'd rather see the Rangers win over Boston or Toronto, <laughs> for being quite honest. Yeah, me too. Well, either way, I don't like to see anybody win but our Blues, of course, but I'm tainted that way. I like this question before we actually started answering the question. It's hard. Yeah. I feel like I'm breaking up with one of our players, and like it's all just hypothetical. I don't like it. Like it. I like the question, though, so we appreciate that. That was our biggest question of the day. Uh, we're at the end of the show here, guys. We got one more segment coming up next here in the fast lane. What you missed, criticisms, compliments, and Marshy's got text of the day. You're not going to want to miss that here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the fast lane podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Well, if you missed anything here today on 101 ESPN in the Fast Lane, you can always go download the podcast. That's right. Just get over there to the mobile app, find the podcast page, or to go 101ESPN.com. Get over there, click on it, and all of that is brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto. 
We had a couple of good guests on today. We had Bradley Carnell, the head coach of St. Louis City SC. He dropped in here and chatted some soccer with us and a lot of things he's excited about. I also offered myself as a walk-on for Bradley. I don't know if he thought it was a great idea or not, although he did somewhat appease me with his kindness. We also had Kyle Glazer on from Baseball America to talk about some of the Cardinals' prospects, in particular, obviously, the big names. Jordan Walker, Mason Wynn, Tink Hens. We had a great discussion over there with Kyle. We dove into some NFL four downs. We went into blue stuff top to bottom. We asked you what the problem is or who's to blame. You guys came through with a lot of different answers on that one. And we asked you, how do you fix it? What are you going to do from now on? If you're Doug Armstrong, where do we go? We covered all that today. And we had the wonderful Michelle Smallman sitting in for all four hours today. That's two days in a row. Michelle, we thank you so much. It was great to have you on here with us. Thank you for having me. It's so fun for me to get to kick it with you guys and talk about the teams that I love and the city that I love. That's awesome. Well, I know that a lot of the texters here miss you very much, and they were very happy to hear your voice. So you are missed. That's for sure. Oh, well, thank you. Like I said yesterday, it's nice to know that someone other than my parents misses me in St. Louis. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they do. All right, Marshy, that time of the day. Criticisms, compliments, and text of the day. All right, let's do it. Let's start with a text from Lisa for Michelle. Have a great night, all. Michelle, you be safe in the big city. Time for some steak at Valentine's. Yum. Mm. How about that? I could go for a steak right now. I could, We were just too. talking about how hungry we were. Now, yes. Michelle, I don't know if you've been to Valentine's in New York City. I have not, mm-hmm. um, but I've been to Peter Luger's. You have? Is it worth the hype? Oh, my gosh. It's worth the hype. Uh, Okay. You better make sure you bring a Brinks truck with you, though. (laughs) I've heard. Yeah. I've heard. Yeah. No, but it's incredible. Yeah, it's a wonderful restaurant. So if you you win the lottery, you should stop by and buy a steak there sometime. That sounds great. I'll just have to take your word for it, Jamie, because I'm probably not going to win the lottery anytime soon. Um, I haven't heard of Valentine's, but I'll have to look that up. And shout out to my girl, Lisa, for the recommendation. Thanks for looking out. She's always looking out for us. We had Bradley Carnell on earlier. You mentioned that, Jamie. Uh, we got a text from the 314. Our, our soccer interview was really cool. Uh, nice, thought-provoking questions. And Coach C answered them with such grace and accent. More, please. Yeah, he's got that uh, <laughs> South African accent. I mean, he could sell me anything. If he showed up at my front door, I'd just think, okay, sure, I'll buy these shower curtain rings, even though I have glass doors on my shower. <laughs> Seems like a great idea. So, yeah, so certainly he's a great guy, though, right, Michelle? Like, when he's talking about it, you can hear the passion in his voice, and I, don't know, I feel like we're in a good spot with Bradley. Yeah, he's great. Lutz is great. They have a, a great staff assembled over at City. And you're so right about the accent thing. There's British people could say the meanest, most cutting thing to you, and it sounds so polite. You, you're like, they're like, I think you're so stupid. I hate you. You're like, thank you? Because the way they say it. <laughs> It's such a polite and pleasant delivery. It's it's not as harsh as our American accent. So I definitely love uh, Coach Carnell's accent. All right, guys. Now it is time for the Air Comfort Service text of the day. The Air Comfort Service text of the day. And I I went I went back and forth with this one. We had one earlier in the show, and we just received one not too long ago. 
but I had to go with the, the original one. And since Anthony's not here, it's about Anthony from the 573. <laughs> hey, since Anthony is at Disney, who is going to hold Mo accountable? Michelle? Oh, wow. So, Michelle, I don't know if you're aware of this. Um, last week, the text line got mad at Anthony saying that he needs to hold Mo accountable. And Anthony absolutely lost his mind. <laughs> He, he is did? now. Oh yeah! Since then, he is known as Ranthony. Ranthony. He. I mean, he was like, "Well, hold Mo accountable." What does Dude, that he mean? Want me to hold Mo accountable? Yeah, he's like, "What do you want me to do about it? I'm not Bill Dewitt." I mean, it was epic. It really wow. was epic. Um, so I guess now the text line wants to know if you're going to hold Mo accountable. I don't know. That seems like an unfair spot for you. Yeah, and I'm definitely not going to do it. I'm sorry. I'm in the pro General Zalot camp. I think he's great at his job. Um, so I'm sorry to disappoint you, texter of the day, with the great text of the day. Thank you for contributing. But I will not be the one to hold Mo's feet to the fire. Um, but I need to go back and listen to the podcast and check out Ranthony because did he go full Italian? Oh, the hands were flailing yeah. around. I had to put on protective eyewear. <laughs> his chest hair was poofed out over his T-shirt. <laughs> the gold cross was clanging around. I mean, he went full Italian, Michelle. You never want to go full Italian. That's that's a bad a bad day if you go full Italian. But guys, I'm going to be filling in with Anthony two days next week. So I'm thank you for the heads up on this because mm-hmm. I'm going to have to try and provoke the the Anthony out of him. Okay, so what we're going to do, Marshy, yes. is you're going to have that stored, and just out of nowhere, you're going <laughs> to drop that in there, and you're going to Absolutely. let Michelle hear it, and Anthony's going to go, oh my God, not this thing again. Well, it'll be a lot of fun, Michelle. Thank you so much for joining us again. If you missed anything, download the podcast. Otherwise, we'll see you tomorrow at 2 o'clock here. See ya. You've been listening to the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.